Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we'll be digesting our very Thanksgiving meal of movies. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We stuffed our stomachs. We ate all the food, too much food. And I'm, of course, talking about all of the dozens of movies that we're playing this November, specifically the Thanksgiving holiday sprint. So we're going to be doing a series of short, rapid-fire reviews of all of the November 2023 hits that played in theaters. We're going to be conducting quick, spoiler-free reviews of the following films. That is Thanksgiving, directed by Eli Roth, The Holdovers, Saltburn, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, Wish, Napoleon, and if there's anything else we miss, we're going to talk about it after that. And joining me today to talk about this very, very pressing series of entrees is my co-host, Laurent Chapman, an award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker. Sir, welcome back. Great to be back. Um, I had to go to the gym today um, and the day before that, you know, to burn off all those turkey pounds because... You know, I, I indulge when I when I do uh, Thanksgiving, but I have been on a really good uh, 45 day streak of just doing doing the gym. And so I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to blow all those calories now. So keep it up. I mean, that's that's the real thing. You know, you can have a cheat day or, or two. Yeah. As long as you just work out really hard. Yeah. It's got to balance it out. It balances it, it, like it allows you to not necessarily change your lifestyle to eating poorly, but you know, you can, can live a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I unfortunately have been working out the last two days uh, <laughs> and I still don't feel like I'm anywhere near not have the turkey. I, I, Laurent, I got to the point where my, I was so full that I was in active pain. And then I was like, Oh crap. I got to, I got to crawl off this bed to go see Napoleon with, yeah. the, with my uh, <laughs> wife and her mother. So yeah. Oh, so good. Gut busting. Would you say? Yes. What's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Uh, mac and cheese. There's a black proverb um, <laughs> in in, the, uh, in our culture where it's like the mac and cheese is more important than the meal than the than the turkey. And I mean that like in the sense that like I'm saying that jokingly, but also like truly, it's a thing where it's not craft macaroni. It's made from scratch. Yeah, yeah. It has to be with the roux. It has to be. You have to use a certain amount of cheeses. And people will investigate you like you murdered a child if you brought the mac and cheese and say, what did you put in it? And it's like they will. And it's like the, it's the criteria. It's a it's a funny thing that kind of I thought I always thought was like a, you know, like a just our family thing. But then I started to realize, oh, this is a cultural thing. <laughs> so I think that's rad. I wish I had mac and cheese in my Thanksgiving. Oh, man. See, it has to be there when it comes to sides for Thanksgiving specifically stuffing, sweet potato casserole. Uh, which me and my wife have a, we have historically, as long as we've been dating, have had competing casseroles because we both feel strongly about how we make it. Mm-hmm. This year we decided to combine the recipe and, you know, turned out okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Look side at that. Just coming together. This wholesomeness coming together. Well, we call it the, uh, our friends gave us a dish that so we're going to name it. It's called the kick casserole. So it's written on the dish, so that's, that's what we're calling it now. So, yeah, lots of side items. Also, super excited to be rejoined by Paris Burris. She's a Dead Center shorts programmer and the host of Oklahoma City's Femme Film. Paris, welcome back. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Did you eat too much at Thanksgiving? Of course. I mean, how can you have Thanksgiving if you're not eating too much? That's the only way to do it. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> so Paris, what is your uh, favorite side dish of choice? 
I mean, I'm a dessert kind of gal, so mm-hmm. okay. I mean, pecan pie is the mm. thing I look forward to. Nice. Like, yeah. I mean, that's my all-time favorite, but I mean, just any kind of dessert. It's like I like the food. I like the dinner, but it's almost like I'm just getting past that getting to past get to the to dessert. Get to the like, dessert. Yeah. we're that's really what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> like pecan pie is just, you know, it's unbeatable. It's a classic. Like I just love it with like half a tub of cool whip per oh, yeah. per slice per you slice, know like yeah. just got to just yeah yeah pile it on there <laughs> like that's to me the the just best most perfect like part of thanksgiving that right there ah oh, it's so good uh, listeners i hope you had wonderful uh, if you're especially if in america i hope you had a great thanksgiving i had an amazing thanksgiving I was inspired by Eli Roth and said there will be no leftovers this year. <laughs> so we did, in fact, get rid of the last of the leftovers today uh, before this recording. It was delicious. All right, listeners, uh, we, we do have one quick bit of news we're going to talk about before getting to our reviews. And I wanted to note that if you enjoy the show today, make sure to head on over to your preferred podcast app, subscribe, leave us a rating and review. That'll help us get discovered by more listeners like you. And come on, these takes... The LaRon Chapman takes. My takes are okay. LaRon's takes are great. <laughs> Paris's takes are great. All of our guest hosts, give those give those ratings five stars. It'll, it'll help us all out. With that said, let's talk a little bit about some shocking news that came out. Uh, I, I want to say it was Tuesday, Wednesday of, uh, of Thanksgiving week. So that is, of course, the fact that Scream 7 is shaping up to be a very different movie than all of us were expecting. Because uh, the two leads, Melissa Barrera and Ginny Ortega, are sounds like they're out of Scream 7. They technically had fulfilled both of their contracts, but they were dropped from the next film. Mm-hmm. Melissa Barrera dropped uh, due to some social media posts that leadership at Spyglass Entertainment deemed anti-Semitic. And then Ginny Ortega was out reportedly due to scheduling conflicts with the new season on... Wednesday, the Netflix series, and that's uh, according to Deadline. I don't know if we necessarily need to get too much into the weeds about the social media posts, but this was certainly a shot, very shocking and swift removal yeah. of your film's star. Heading into the Scream 7, which is also, we, we'd already lost Radio Silence as the directing duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really just seems like this film has had nothing but setbacks, despite the fact that both of both Scream 5 and 6 were both huge box office hits and generally pretty well received by fans. So, Laurent, you being one of the, <laughs> oh, if not man. the biggest Scream fan I know, I have to get your take. What yeah. do you think they should do with the Scream franchise in light of this news? You know, I've been... <laughs> I've been asking all my friends to wear black and send flowers and as I'm grieving as a Scream <laughs> fan. Uh, you know, maybe we've had too much of a good thing. There's the one aspect of that where, you know, we've been saying it, you know, like maybe they need to pause a little bit and, and wait to do another film. But that being said, so long as they were making them of the caliber, I feel, of the last two, you know, even with, with new directions, particularly the last one, I was happy. I was happy with the direction they were going. And so it's disappointing because so much groundwork has been kind of set you know with the two carpenter sisters um there's they're they're kind of missing a third act you know um and i think that this next film would have fulfilled that um and i just kind of hate that it's happening on um you know on the basis of someone sharing their support of like i said we won't go into too much detail but um 
showing their support for a very nuanced conflict that's happening right now with Israel and Palestine, mm -hmm. you know, and it seems to me that the studio has taken a stance on where they where they stand with it. And because someone has a more thorough point of view about the about it on a holistic level, she's kind of being hung out to dry, you know, in that sense. And um, I'm not actually convinced that Jenna Ortega's schedule is the reason that she's, you know, not coming back. It's, it's very it, okay. It's very so, PR insulated. It feels yeah, like, well, because they were they making they were making it sound like this had already been somewhat mm -hmm. anticipated even before the strike sure. had occurred, but they hadn't broke the news yet. Right. So the fact that the news broke the right day after it was the day after Melissa's fired for like fired from the, the the film, all of a sudden Jenna's out the next day, and it's like, oh, but this was always the case. I just feel like that's. A decision that was made and 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 it to insulate her from any kind of drama that melissa is currently or you know is in orbit around her you know like call it a scheduling conflict because they're not going to argue with that sorry she is a busy actress she's got a beetlejuice too and wednesday so you know there's a difference between uh in this case it's like why she just it's not that she was ever in or out she just decided not to come back she decided not to come back yeah, exactly because they they already had conflicts with their schedule that was reported but they were working around it and she was she wanted they were going to find her an abbreviated role whatever they could do to try and accommodate all the things you know um which is what they did with Nev Campbell in Scream 3, you know, because she became really big because of the Scream franchise and then had other offers and wanted to do other things and didn't want to just be beholden to one franchise forever. And so she had to do a lot of her scenes away from the cast, you know, which is essentially what they were going to do with this. But um, for her to say that she was never going to be in it, that I feel like that would have been announced way before. Oh, before now. I don't think there's any way, like yeah. from a story perspective, like yeah. to your point, there's no way she's not in that story. In that story, yeah. so. Yeah. But in terms of the future of the franchise, um, I I'm in favor of if they're not going to, going to continue with the with this storyline they've set up for the last two movies. I honestly don't want them to make another film because I feel like Scream has had such a good streak of of you know um, you know positive you know positive films i mean in terms of the reception there hasn't been a bad screen there hasn't been yet. an outright bad one yeah there's been some not as great not as good ones but they all have been pretty consistent in terms of horror franchise like pretty consistent you know and so for them to end it on a sour note or to try and like you know what i mean um uh retroactively change some things here i just feel like that would just put a bad taste in my mouth for how good it's been so far. Well, and again, it's not like it, these were the small supporting bit roles. Yeah. They're know. the leads. Like, I mean, we already had to get over Nev leaving. Right. And then we did because Scream 6 actually worked, I think, in its favor with Nev not being there because then we did get to develop that core group of kids. Right. And then to now remove the two leads from that feels like, well, we can't. We can't what was the point it. of the last two What movies? was the point of it yeah. then? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. I think... You know, it, it's one of those things like we even talked about on our Scream 6 review. It's like, you know, the temptation is going to be, given how successful Scream 6 was, just rush right into the next sequel. Yeah. But I really think that what makes that series work is that it actually has things to say and things on mm -hmm. its mind about the state of horror, horror filmmaking films, or even just Hollywood in general. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in this case, 
there was some stuff they clearly seem to be laying track for for a third movie. Mm-hmm. And if you can't pay that off, it, it's, it's I'd rather you said take a really end long it, break. End it on it. End it or take a very long break before yeah. you start from scratch later. I, I honestly don't. I'm actually hoping that Nev Campbell and Patrick Dempsey, they're, I, I hear they're like, that's their new like direction is like bringing her back into the fold. The Patrick I'm, Dempsey? Uh, yeah, Patrick Dempsey from Scream 3 because I guess she married she did him. She did marry him. She married yeah. him, the character. And so, I mean, now... Uh, Gail's still alive, but I feel like I feel like bringing them back in now feels tacked on, and it, like I said, it it does a disservice to what's been set up with the new cast. Because um, then, where are the 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 other core, the, the other half of the core four? What are they? Are they just going to be? You yeah, know what I mean? The core four. Oh, whoops! Two of them are gone. I just feel like it's just either <laughs> any way you go forward with it, it's going to be disappointing. So I'm I'm hoping that they bow out for creative differences, and then Spyglass just drops the rights to it, and then another studio picks it up and brings all the cast back. That's my hope. That's my my so wish. You're hoping that <laughs> that they just Spyglass ends up dumping it yeah, and selling. Well, the because rights. if Nev Campbell doesn't yeah. come back, then what what are they going to what are they going to do with it? Right. You know, like reboot reboot it. You know, like so. I don't think that. I think they would just wash their hands of it and then maybe someone else could do it that would right. that would be the best case scenario for me i mean i don't think that's out of the realm of possibility i'll take it okay paris what, what do you what do you make of this whole scream conundrum um well i loved scream six like i i hadn't been that impressed with a scream movie in a while like mm-hmm. that one was just phenomenal to me so and and what made it work was Janet ortega and melissa barrera like mm-hmm. their chemistry their performances oh my gosh like i don't see how <laughs> i mean they are scream now like mm-hmm. they are the franchise mm-hmm. and it's the same thing you know that y'all were already kind of mentioning we already went through that with nev and we're gonna have to go through that again with our new faces of the franchise i mean it's Two like how then. many it's yeah like- how many times are we gonna do this and yeah so i don't know i don't know what they need to do at this point but i just without uh melissa barrera and jenna ortega like or nev campbell or nev campbell like i don't i don't want i don't that yeah i don't want that who wants that <laughs> you, yeah. you really have to start from scratch it mm-hmm. can't be a continuation you'd have mm-hmm. to start from scratch again which yeah. they just did yeah it's bizarre. It's a, it's a real bummer for a franchise that again I think had has been pleasant. It was brought back with two really 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 pretty good entries and yeah, yeah. had again to your point you both have said though I, it really did feel like they had probably the best part of six in my mind is it really did lock in the core cast. Mm-hmm. They got us invested, it, finally. very invested because I think five they were kind of. They were there. They were in orbit. You know what I mean? Like they had moments, but they were. Dewey and Gale. But it was still trying to be the old screen and ushering the new one. So it was kind of, but the the sixth one really honed in on those four characters where I was like, okay, I will follow these four into the franchise if they choose to, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Well, listeners, uh, what do you think uh, about the entire Melissa Barrera situation? You can let us know by heading on over to our social media that's on Facebook, Instagram, threads, uh, the Cinematropolis, or a.k.a. the Cinematrop. Uh, or you can send us an email at the Cinematropolis at gmail.com. Laurent, you mentioned Patrick Dempsey. I think it's that's a great segue for us to jump into our first <laughs> review of, of this Thanksgiving meal of movies that we're consuming, the appetizer, if you will. The film, of course, is Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. I've got plenty to be thankful for. 
I need this small, I buy them all at the five and ten cent store. Oh, I've got plenty to be thankful for. I used to love this town. Until what happened that night. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, and I'm tired of pretending like everything is normal and it's not. I want things to go back to normal too. Show some enthusiasm. Thanksgiving is an institution here. So according to the IMDb synopsis, Thanksgiving can be described as after a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy, a mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorizes Plymouth, Massachusetts, the birthplace of the infamous holiday. Instead of saying Thanksgiving-inspired killer, I wish they said the killer's name, John Carver, but they, they said it in the Boston accent, John Carver! John Carver. <laughs> uh, the film was released in theaters on November 17th. As I already know, the, th- the film was directed by Eli Roth and co-written by Jeff Rendell and Eli Roth. And the idea for this film was originally conceived as a trailer for the 2007 Grindhouse double feature. That is uh, the double feature of Tarantino's Death Proof and Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror. And after all these years, Laron, we've actually seen a few of those tr- fake trailers that have actually made it to the big screen. We had Hobo with a Shotgun uh, that made it. Uh, we had Machete uh, yep. made it to the big screen. And I feel like there's another one that, that, that got adapted to uh, a full-length feature film. But we've had a few of Well, these. there's Machete, too, but I guess it's... Machete Kills. It's a Machete yeah. Kills, yeah. <laughs> Can you, I cannot believe we got two We machete. got a sequel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's been really exciting. So, so, but again, even then, those movies came while long after Grindhouse had concluded. It was still kind of like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the Grindhouse thing from mm-hmm. even 10 years ago. We're, we are so far removed from Grindhouse now that yeah. it's just wild to see... Thanksgiving, and I did in fact go back and watch the original trailer mm-hmm. uh, just to see, kind of compare notes. And uh, it's interesting to see how Eli Roth has evolved as a director in the years since. Uh, so, with that said, uh, Lorana, no, Eli Roth, he's forged a career around intense and shocking gore with Hostel and Part Two and Gory Laughs. Uh, I'm thinking, of course, about Cabin Fever or Green Inferno. I'll start with you, Laurent. What is your take on Roth's career so far? Okay, so as a horror fanatic, one would think that I just adored Eli Roth, and I feel like I I have always respected a lot of his films. Like um, uh, the the Hostel movies were the less fun Saul movies for me, <laughs> you know. So significantly less fun. That's what it is. It's like they're gory, but they're it's with none of the fun though. You know what I mean? Like Saul was trashy and kind of soap opera, kind of a soap opera. Yeah. So it had that kind of B quality, whereas. Uh, it almost felt like Hostel was going for like art house, but not, but falling short of that, you know? Um, so I've never been a huge fan of Eli Roth, the director. I do. I am a fan of cabin fever. I think it's a hoot, but, um, but the, the green inferno, some of the other films he's made, I just haven't been too enamored with. Um, you didn't like the house with clocks in the walls, <laughs> but I'm, you didn't realize, I didn't realize he directed I that until I was prepping I did this not, podcast. Until this podcast didn't know that either. So, um, even when it came out, didn't know that that I might've saw it then, <laughs> you know, like, so, um, but he's not someone who I say, if he made it, I won't watch it. I still go to the theater to see all of his films. Um, he just hasn't wowed me as a horror director. There's people I prefer, um, over him. Yeah, for sure. And this is a guy who sort of, he made a splash with cabin fever and got on 
Tarantino's radar mm-hmm. and so kind of wrote Tarantino's coattails a little bit, going as so far as to a yeah make that double uh, the trailer for Grindhouse, but also make an appearance in Inglorious Bastards as uh, the Bear Jew, for lack of a better name, that's what they call him in yeah. the movie. And also, great great performance. Eli yeah, Roth, he, he has a, a green screen presence for sure. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Paris, how about you? Are you a fan of Mr. Roth's work? Um, no, I would not say that I'm a fan uh, until now. Uh, after seeing Thanksgiving, I would say that that is... It was a huge surprise for me how much I liked it. But oh. prior to that, no. I mean, and it, it's not even that I have seen very much of his stuff. It's more so that his his movies that he's directed don't interest me. They, mm-hmm. I, I've never felt the need to go out of my way to watch them. Um, he is, uh, I, I don't mind him as an actor at all. Um, I, I enjoy the times I've seen him in things like Inglorious Bastards and whatnot. Um, he's, to me, like I was a big fan of Thanksgiving, um, but just outside of that, he's always been someone who I respect him and what he's trying to do because he it is so clear that he knows the genre yeah. and he's a huge, you know, fan of it and he 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 has so many interesting ideas and like he's very, you know, um good at like writing about stuff mm-hmm. um and he the, his thoughts are interesting and different and like i i've always respected him because you can at least tell that he has a vision and that mm-hmm. unfortunately is not true for all directors um like he really truly has his own unique vision whether or not it's executed in a way that is personally enjoyable you know that's you know a different kind of topic but yeah. i do I do really like uh, his new movie, and it makes me very interested to see what he'll do next. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I would say that I'm right there with both of you guys. I do really like Cabin Fever. I, I thought that was a f- super fun movie. Yeah. I really despise both Hostel films, <laughs> uh, while acknowledging that it was clearly made a huge splash. I would argue mm-hmm. that comboed with Saw, this came out, Hostel was the year later, were two films that were a key part of sort of the torture porn subgenre yeah. that really took over the, uh, I would say, late aughts, early 2010s. Mm-hmm. And so I respect him. Green Inferno, I really didn't like it. But mm-hmm. I, again, he had a, to Paris's point, he yeah. did have a vision. There was a there was something I can see. He clearly has an affinity. Anytime you hear him talk about movies, I yeah. listened to an interview ahead of seeing Thanksgiving, and he's very passionate about the genre and is clearly very knowledgeable. And I think he's trying really hard to hone it, uh, which I would say... You know, even though I think he's way more misses than hits for me. Yeah, Hostel Part 1 and 2, Man with the Iron Fist. I guess he just was a writer, co-producer on that. Green Inferno, didn't like that. Hated that Death Wish movie from 2018. <laughs> yeah, not good. Didn't even realize he did the house with clicks on the walls, uh, clocks on the walls, rather. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I would say more uh, misses than hits. However, yes, let's uh, let's provide our, our quick reviews here because I agree with you, Paris. I think Thanksgiving was a blast, and I had low expectations and mm-hmm. the, the positive buzz from the early previews were po- so positive. I was like, wait, so I actually got kind of excited for it. 
You know, so the expectations go up. And this movie really delivered on exactly what I think it set out to. Uh, I mean, we'll get, we'll get into it here. Uh, but, Laurent, what did you think of Thanksgiving? I, I also loved it. Um, I, You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I went into this with all of the trepidation just from the, again, from his previous work, not being particularly entranced with the things he does while also respecting the fact that he is a lover of the genre. So I, I would see it either way. And then for this to be a movie... You know what I mean? That's based on a fake trailer from one of my favorite theater experiences ever was going to see Grindhouse, the double feature as one with the with the intermission. Um, it doesn't seem like this would be the one that would be the hit. It seems like this will be the one that would be dog shit. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I think it was just right in his wheelhouse. Like his kind of sinister B-level, you know, thrills like gore and satire and it just works for this, you know, in a way that it was really refreshing, you know, and as slashers goes, particularly B movie slashers, it's hard to do one like good. You know what I mean? Like, cause well, they've been done. The whole genre has been done to death, done to death. You, you yeah. There's know, nothing. So what else can you do? What with else it? can you do? Well, apparently, and I, this is something I was listening to the, the, in the interview with, he did with, uh, I think the ringer and it was, he's like, yeah, there's not a Thanksgiving horror movie. He's like, and he's like, I grew up Jewish, so I really wasn't into any of the Christmas horror movies. He's like, I appreciated that they existed, but they weren't really yeah. my thing. And I guess he's like, I grew up in Boston. And in Boston, it's a big freaking Thanksgiving's a huge right. deal, right? Yeah. So he was very passionate about the setting mm -hmm. uh, mixed with like the, the idea that he wanted to be the first guy to like do a, a good horror yeah. movie set during the holiday. Well, and it feels like a takedown of the holiday, too. Yes, it does. Like it's not, it's definitely not celebrating the holiday. It's definitely like, uh, you know, poking fun of the capitalist nature of it, you know, and Especially I, Black Friday, the Black Friday yeah. shopping. I mean, we'll get we'll probably talk or at least allude to the opening scene is fantastic. I think we, we can talk about it. it's the opening scene. So I think we can say, yeah. yes, that he turns a Black Friday shopping spree into, into a, a horror, horror, a horror bloodbath. Yes. We'll just call it that. Yes. And it it actually isn't that fucking far away from what no, happens. That's what people, crazy people it's, die. And during during Black Friday every year, and it's, it's insane like to me. He just <laughs> he just turned it up the intensity up by like one he added a, 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 a undertone of like dark humor to it but like it's definitely like i've seen it look just as crazy as that i've before. seen videos <laughs> where people like, get trampled like that yeah, yeah sure the movie yeah. makes it look a little yeah. every year flasher. you hear about some old lady or some kid or somebody that got stomped on or got you know is in the hospital or you know what i mean is, is severely injured or died from just people trying to buy a waffle iron. And it's like, come on, guys. Lamont, <laughs> but you got to gobble up these great deals. I guess so. <laughs> Paris, what, okay, so, so Paris, uh, tell us more. What, what, what did you think? What were your overall thoughts on the film? Yeah, I mean, it was just a fun time. Like, just the whole time I was just enjoying the hell out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... It's one of those things where it's like we can't get into spoilers or anything, but it's one of those movies where it's definitely making a commentary on society. And it's it's doing this. Uh, it's avoiding that. Oh, we live in a society kind of thing, though. Like <laughs> it's like it's ridiculous and over the top enough that it's commentary on like people and how we treat each other and social media and like the holiday and just all of the things that it's kind of like uh talking about and addressing it's not done in a way where it's just like an eye roll which is right. so easy to do um and i really enjoyed that part of it like because it's just so easy to lose me when it's just like 
like it's that weird balance of you have to be uh kind of over the top because it is ridiculous like the pr the whole like just basis of it is just kind of like you can't take it too seriously right. like it's a thanksgiving horror movie like there are <laughs> ridiculous things happening and it it does a really good balance between like not being too over the top to where it just kills it because you can't take it seriously at all, mm -hmm. but not taking itself too seriously to where it, you're not having fun. Like it really yeah. is a great tone, and it's got yeah. it's, there's a lot of sincerity in it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, while being I think acutely self aware of what it's doing and and, and when it's being released, it it, it does feel like I, I really feel like Eli Roth is like I have a movie I want to make. I have kills I want to deliver. I actually have something to say about right, which is interesting because yeah. it is a, such a silly premise but mm -hmm. it has a satirical bite to it that mm -hmm. actually works that lands for me and we can't get into like i said in terms of spoilers we can't but i, I wished for something to happen in this like i said the, i just want to see one thing happen in this movie um and i i feel like i willed it to be because it, it, it did happen at the dinner table and i was like if he doesn't do this i'm gonna be really disappointed but we didn't have a conversation, so it's not like, you know, like, um, and it happened. It happened. So I was like, yes, he, he plucked that, that twisted, disgusting idea from my brain. He knows his audience. It. And he did it. Yeah. He did it. And he went there. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Man, yeah. <laughs> this was I, for the price of a mission. I, I can't, first, I'm going to have to pick your brain after we go off air to yeah. talk about what that was exactly. But I, I would just say, you know, it is, again, I, I go back to the sincerity thing. Just even in something as silly as like a Thanksgiving themed horror movie, it feels nice to go to a theater and just see something that it's like wearing what it is about on its sleeve, sure. but also not being ashamed of itself at the same time. Yeah. Not, and it's counter programming, yeah. you know, cause it's like, I mean, think of like, I think about this every year. It's like yeah, people like Christmas movies. They like holiday movies. They like, they like lifetime movies, you know? And so I don't really i like some christmas movies they're the staples that i like of course but i mean like in general like the lifetime hallmark quality i can't i can't stand that shit mm -hmm. and but they're like but a lot of people love them and, and and power to them you know um it's great that there's something for other people to go see you know what right. i mean like during the holidays like that is still in theme you know what i mean but it 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 it's more suited to my sensibilities, if the, if you will. So um, it feels like the perfect counter programming for that. So absolutely, and hey, it's it's paying off for him. This has been. I mean, the movie wasn't very expensive to make. I think it was like uh, let me check. I think like ten million or something. It's already made its budget back and more, which is great. Uh, great to hear. Whenever any, frankly, any like not that I'm gonna say Elias, I would say is not tour tour. But you know, he's a guy who has a, a vision. Uh, yeah, the movie was a budget at fifteen million. And it's already brought back in uh, twenty nine point one, um, which is great news uh, for uh, the little horror film that could. And yeah, I think the the biggest my biggest takeaway is I love this movie. I I don't know if I'll watch it every single year, but this is definitely one that will work its way into my rotation between Halloween and Thanksgiving mm -hmm. each year, where it'll come up as a discussion point. And B, uh, Paris, I really can't wait to see like what Eli Roth does next. I mean, I know there is. A movie that he's already done. Borderlands. Yeah, which I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's like <laughs> I'm, I don't know what to think about that, but I'm gonna watch it. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely gonna watch it. Watch it. <laughs> I'll be extra interested to see what he does because he actually did this one after he got done with Borderlands, but mm. Borderlands being a big VFX studio film mm -hmm. yeah. has not been released yet. And uh, I, I mean, yes, I'm very curious about Borderlands. I'm also super curious about what he does after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, so let's get to letter grades, though, shall we? Uh, Paris Burris, what letter grade would you give Thanksgiving? To me, this is a solid B plus. And yeah, like uh, I don't 
see myself revisiting it every year, but it's like one of those movies where if I know someone hasn't seen it, I want to watch it with them to see their reaction. Like that's a hundred (laughs) percent. Like, so it's very like, I I predict I will be rewatching it, you know, in, in the instance that I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I have to see this person react to this. They've never seen it. Like that's, that's uh, exciting to me. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's great. This one is a fun one to friend watch with. I would say, I would bet. For yeah. Sure. Leron, what letter grade would you give it? Yeah, this just had so much. I mean, it had no right to be as as enjoyable as it was. Um, I'm right there with you. Um, this is a this is a B plus, and for me, it's rewatchable for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm I was very pleased with it, and I wouldn't. I you. It was not on my bingo card of 2023 that I would actually enjoy Thanksgiving, but I'm 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 pleasantly surprised that I did. I would say it's in the upper echelon of horror movies I've seen this year. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's the best one, but it's in it's in that sure. upper echelon compared it, to some of the others we've watched. It it, it exceeds, uh, I mean, it does well at what it's trying to do. Yeah, you know? yeah. well said. Uh, also, I'll just uh, bring us home with another B+. I think it's a great time. Absolutely worth a trip to the movies. Whenever it's on VOD, check it out. Yeah, highly recommend. Get it and watch it with some friends. Yeah. Laura and I watched an it together movie. and we watched it with, uh, with a pretty engaged audience and, and no regrets there. Uh, uh, sadly, well, with the exception of maybe our next movie, it is also the movie I've seen last week that I liked the most. So mm-hmm. starting high, and well, the next one actually, it's it's more like I'm put I'm calling it the turkey. It's got the substance, you know. <laughs> it's it's a little dry on the outside sometimes, but it really is the the heart of what Thanksgiving's all about. And of course, what else could I be talking about but the holdovers? Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I had you guys stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a bitch, that's another detention! So according to the IMDb synopsis, the holdovers can be described as a cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go. So this film began a limited release on October 27th before expanding its theatrical release on November 10th. And I want to say it's actually expanded even more theaters since then. This is director Alexander Payne's first movie since 2017's Downsizing. But again, this is Alexander Payne, the guy who gave us Election, uh, the guy who gave us uh, The Descendants, Sideways, a lot of great movies, Nebraska. The film stars Paul Giamatti as Paul Hunman, Dominic Sessa as Angus Tully, and oh, Divine Joy Randolph. Divine Joy Randolph, thank you, <laughs> as Mary Lamb. Uh, also, you might know her as the police officer from Only Murders in the Building, if you mm-hmm. watch that show on uh, Hulu. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of cut to the chase on this one specifically. I, I guess the, the one thing I'd say before we actually get to review review, Laurent, you and I have uh, had a little back and forth about this movie before it came out just because I remember specifically you and I being so amped to see Downsizing. Mm-hmm. Was, I think that might have been 
maybe not the first, but it was one of the early press screeners sure. that we went to together. Yeah. And both of us walked out so, so disappointed. disappointed. Yeah. So just, I was so disappointed that I was like, I don't know if Payne. Is maybe gonna, he's lost it. <laughs> I thought maybe he's lost it. Yeah. Uh, so maybe you could, could elaborate here for me. Why was it so important to you that he got the holdovers right? You know, I felt like he, I, I've always been a fan of, of, of Payne's work. I mean, I feel like the Descendants, Descendants and Sideways are like all timers for me. Uh, those are, those are movies that, uh, you know, they, they made my top 10 list of those years and they resonated years past. So um, that's, think I, why, think why the downsizing was so disappointing is that it had such an interesting concept and it was made by such a, um, kind of a really introspective, you know, uh, well-respected director. And it just, it just loses its shape and its form, you know, um, and it just plots a lot, you know, and it just felt like it just, it just didn't stick the landing. And so this, I went into this with a little bit of trepidation, but also knowing full well that he has made great films, you know? So, um, and I was honestly, I was very taken with this one. I just, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it it was it transported me to the seventies. I, I if you told me before, you know, obviously, you know, if I'd seen this and didn't know anything about it, didn't know the cast, say, I would think this was made in the seventies. It has the aesthetic of a of a film from that, and I love that aspect of it. Made me think a lot of um, uh, uh, James Earl Brooks. You know, did like Terms of Endearment. It feel, oh yeah, it yeah. feels like a movie from that era. And it, it plays to those sentiments really well. I think it's a great highlight reel. If you are a fan of Paul Giamatti, I'm a huge fan. Um, it's it has every trick in the box of, that he does, from his comedy chops, his dramatic chops, his his sharp cuts. You know, like it's this role was tailor made for him. Um, and I just really grew to love this odd dynamic of characters, like who are kind of estranged from their lives. Um, for different reasons, finding kind of family and solace within each other. And I just love spending time with them, mm -hmm. you know. So um, it was a very cozy film that I, I think will, you know, will be that will um, resonate with other, you know. Um, I think it'll be broadly appealing to, you know, for people who like movies and also people who just like holiday films. Absolutely. I think that's a well said. I did, in fact, recommend this movie to my family this year. So if you see one movie this Thanksgiving, make it. The holdovers because it's safe it's cozy it's a it's just a heartwarming drama yeah and in a very traditional sense of the word yeah. it, to its benefit i would argue paris what did you think uh well firstly what do you think of alexander Payne as a director and also what did you think of the holdovers it's funny because with alexander Payne, i i haven't seen you know all of his movies i have seen election and i've seen citizen ruth mm -hmm. okay and obviously the holdovers um i love citizen ruth it rules i that movie's like just it was a good time and i love laura dern in it yes. so i love that movie i loathed election oh, wow. i okay. hate that movie on one hand he's made a movie that i hate on the other hand, he's made a movie that I absolutely love. And then The Holdovers, I just, it was one of those movies that I didn't like, but I didn't dislike. I just wasn't really affected by it. It just didn't work for me. It's not to say that there's anything technically wrong with it. It's just one of those things where I, I don't know why. I just didn't connect with it. Just um, it, yeah. And it's just one of those things where, now, the thing is, I think my biggest 
issue with the holdovers is okay i love paul giamatti i think he's incredible cannot stand dominic sessa or however you say his name i found it to be a very taxing movie because i had to sit through his performance oh no um i absolutely yeah i just did not like and then so when i was looking him up it looks like this is his first role like ever and i think that i sensed that he just didn't feel like an actor to me who knew what he was doing like i just i think he was cast because of his look and i think he was cast because like you know alexander payne he kind of looks like alexander payne (laughs) um and he just kind of fit more of the style he was looking for i i mean the acting though I just could not stand it anytime he was on screen. And I didn't like the character either, but I I don't think you're supposed to love the characters. Like they're all pretty broken. annoying, like, you know, but like that's the point. Um yeah, I think that was just the biggest thing for me. I just really am not a fan of the lead. Um It is making it very tough to watch a movie when you don't like yeah. one of its three main characters. Yeah. <laughs> intrinsically. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's um, an inter- interesting yeah. take too, because um because yeah, the 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 conversation uh, with Oscar prognosticators is that he, I mean, he's on the short list for supporting actor, so that's that's one thing. Um, but the the conversation has been this is his first movie, this is his first movie, and it's interesting you sense that because oh, I a hundred percent I didn't it didn't bother me. I do I agree with you about the character, um, and I I, yeah, I know the character is pretty unlikable. I frankly. warmed yeah. up to the character about midway through, but the same with Paul Giamatti because he's not supposed to be likable either. But there's a weird synergy that for me that happened about midway through, where both of them start to like chill out and they start to like kind of like the other person because they realize like. I guess it's just you and me, kid. You know, sort of that kind of vibe, you know, where they're finally starting to, like, share their vulnerabilities with each other. And I really love Divine Joy Randolph's oh, yeah, performance she's in plus. this. She's great. She yeah. was she's a, the, one of the highlights. She was, sure. she was she was a blast. And I, I love that they gave this, the you know, the head of the cafeteria of, the, of this school, like, a character. You know what I mean? Because like, normally that she would just be there for a couple lines you know, a uh, couple sassy lines in the corner. But here, they actually made her, oh, I feel like, a fully realized Oh, I fully person. realized. She's just as important as the other two, right. I would say, to the the like yeah. the, the film's, like, themes and ideas about sort of, like, yeah. uh, character redemption, grieving. Um, like, yeah. there's a lot of things that she's pretty essential, I would say. Yeah, and I think the, the, the ending really got me. Um, well, it's just a little bit with his eye, which by the way, he doesn't, have, maybe you guys already knew this. He doesn't have a lazy eye. Right. And I forgot that when I was watching the movie, I was like, is his eye always been like that? It's kind of distracting, but it becomes a bit in the movie. So mm-hmm. I was like, and then he's like doing the press tours. I'm like, oh, he's like, no, I put that contact in. We had to like really get it over there to make yeah. it. Like, I was like, okay. Cause I, I mean, I, when they, when he explains it, I believe end, Paula Giamatti has a lazy eye. <laughs> I'm just and saying. I was like, I haven't been studying his face that much, but like, um, but I do remember the little bit with the eye when he finally explains which one, you know, you know the moment, and then also the final moment, the final scene of between him and Dominic Sessa as they're departing ways was really touching for me because I because there's kind of this tragic like I'm again not going to go into spoilers, but there's this kind of tragic like um, not knowing this un uh, what's going to happen to his character. You know what I mean? Like there's this. He's made a huge sacrifice, you know, and now 
where is he going? What's mm-hmm. he going to do now? Yeah. It, you know, and he did it in the, in the service of, a, of this kid, but it's, it's, I think there's a kind of a melancholy to that. The, the, un, the not knowing. Yeah. I think that melancholy is a good word for the, the, the holdovers of the film. I, I, I quite like this movie uh, a lot. I, I certainly wouldn't put Dominic Sessa on the short list of an Oscars. I'm sure he is. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought, I, I, gonna happen. I thought his performance was fine. I definitely found of the three main characters, she was the one I was a, the least sympathetic to or invested in, but you also had to have him there for Paul Giamatti's character to really have uh, that that foil. Out. You know, you have this stingy old college professor and archetype we're very familiar with. It just, the whole thing seems very tailor-made for uh, Paul Giamatti. He's got the weird physical tics, the way he runs, hobbles. Yeah, yeah, he's got the lazy eye. But even even though he doesn't have an actual lazy eye, but you believe but he you does. But you believe he does, right? Yeah. Uh, so the movie uses his physicality very, very well to, to kind of just really sell this dude. Yeah. And... The, the script seems tailor-made for Giamatti. I don't know if it, it is, but this is definitely a huge, huge Oscar showcase for him as an actor. And, hey, I think it's great. I, ho- I hope he nails it. Outside of the performances in the story, I, I really do find, yeah, the production design um, to be exceptional. I, I love the soundtrack was soundtrack really moving. was good, yeah. So, overall, I'm, I wouldn't say this is my favorite of uh, Alexander Payne's films. It's not... But it's pretty good. It's very, very solid. It's a safe. I would rec- I recommend it to my parents. I'll put it that way. And I don't do that very often anymore because there's they still make movies like this. Uh, I would say. Go ahead, Paris. I was just. I mean, I think that's my problem with it. It's so safe. It's so conventional. Like it's mm. not doing anything new or innovative or challenging. And like there is room for movies like that. Don't get me wrong. It's just not for me. It absolutely is like a movie I would recommend to like families go see it with your family things like that. But I think, I think that's what my biggest issue besides just like not liking the lead, which. Is a huge thing, but (laughs) I think it's just, it's not doing anything for me as far as it, like, it's not challenging, it's just safe, which I think there's value in that, but it just really didn't. It's definitely a safe film. Yeah. Yeah. I I think in this case it works out. Maybe Alexander Payne needed to to pick what he felt was a safer project coming off of downsizing. And you know... Again, I, I do agree with you. That's that's Paris. Frankly, as much as I really like this film, that that's probably what's going to keep it from making my top ten. Likely, we'll have to see how that pans out. But it, that's the kind of stuff that'll keep me from like really personally elevating this movie to like one of the best of the year, or even at the Oscars, where I'm I'm not going to be rooting for it, other than maybe Paul Giamatti. But yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, well, yeah, it, it does a lot of things really well, but it's not exactly really swinging for the fence either. That said. There is a great pleasure and comfort, as you said, LaRon, to having that. I do really like that it's set with Christmas as the backdrop without it being explicitly a capital C Christmas movie. Yeah. Those are my favorite kinds of Christmas movies. And that also leads to a very another important factor for me, which is the rewatchability. I think it's got – because it's so safe mm-hmm. and comforting, kind of warm There hug. is a comfort level to yeah. it, which is – it's just indicative of a lot of movies from this – with that – with that backdrop in that genre, you know? Um, and I think that there's a lot of one-liners that I love in this too. Like oh, yeah. there's, I mean, there's a lot of takedowns that he says that I'm just like, I'm going to say that to somebody someday. <laughs> I, like, I can't wait till I'm a curmudgeon old, old high man. school teacher, <laughs> yeah. uh, talking, uh, yelling on about principles in the classroom. Uh, also great. Uh, that first sequence when he walks into the classroom with the, the final test, I won't spoil it, but that, the whole, 
where the whole thing plays mm-hmm. out was just chef's yeah. kiss. I've like I've known that guy. Mm-hmm. We've all probably known that guy. Yeah, he, yeah. he exists in our lives. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's get to letter grades for the uh, the holdovers. Uh, Lauren Chapman, what letter grade would you give the holdovers? I'm really warm on this one, guys. So I'm I'm giving this an A minus. I really I really enjoyed it. Um, but I I definitely agree with uh with with the takes here. Um, it did it did uh speak to me personally. Um. Because it, it feels like comfort food, but substantive. You know what I mean? Like there's something, it's nourishing in a way. That's what it feels like, you know. And and But at the same time, I totally can agree that it's not particularly challenging. Um, and But, you know, that being said, I did find it very enjoyable. You know, there was a time uh, not too long ago when it was okay for, like, we just didn't live in such a weird state for movies where if you're a person who's a known auteur or something, you better show up with, like, some, like, revelatory masterpiece. Yeah. And there used to be a time back in the 90s, like, you know, you would just get movies uh, that were just old, kind of old school dramas or whatever. Yeah. We just don't. Ma- I think that's it's, that's part of that. Maybe what makes this so great and also so safe at the same time is it yeah. just feels like, wow, it's so great. It feels so refreshing. We get a really good one of these. We, we don't get them anymore. By the same note, if this had been released twenty years ago, and it really could have been, could have been released yeah. identically. Like you could have t- dropped this yeah. exact movie. 20 they shot years it ago. on film. It looks. It looks it like it would have felt film. probably a little more in line with what was playing in theaters at the time. So yeah. again, it's it's both a, a strength and a weakness at the same time. Yeah, it keeps it in a certain place for sure. Yeah, yeah. but Laurent goes a minus. Paris Burris, what letter grade would you give the holdovers? I'm gonna give it a D plus. <laughs> Ooh man, I can just see it here. Paul Diamati, D plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the great yeah. <laughs> Uh, can I get a curve on that? Can I get <laughs> on my curve? Uh, I'm gonna go B plus. I, I don't know if it's quite an A minus to B plus though. Again, so many great things working for it, and uh, I think again, if I'm pitching a safe, wholesome movie to my family, which I did, this of the things on this list, that would be the one I would that I feel like would work well for the most people. Yeah. I feel like the holdovers has got that going for it too. Uh, so B plus. All right. Well, now that we've gotten through the turkey, maybe a little dry around the edges, but there's one one way you can sort of uh, add, uh, kind of cleanse your, not, not necessarily cleanse your palate, but overload your palate with a different flavor, and that is the cranberry sauce. So naturally I'm talking about salt burn. Did you know there was a college Christmas party tonight? NFI, me and you, not fucking invited. You all right? Yeah, I've got a flat tire. Take my bike. Hey, that is so kind. Thank you. I'm sorry I don't know your name. I'm uh, I'm Felix. Oliver. Oliver. Mm. Oliver, I love you. I love you. I love you. All right, cheers, Ollie. My parents, they've got problems. What kind of? What do you mean, problems? I don't think I'll ever go home again. Well, why don't you come home with me? Come to Saltburn. Mr. Quick. Wow. And here he is now. Oh, what beautiful eyes. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, I told you it wasn't a minger. Oh, but darling, you're kind about everyone. You can't be trusted. I had them hang up an old school dinner jacket. We dressed for dinner here. Dressed for dinner? Yeah, it's like, uh, it was like black tie. According to the IMDb synopsis, Saltburn can be described as a student at Oxford University finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. So in the United States, Saltburn was given a limited release on November 17th, 
followed by a wide expansion on November 22nd. The film is written and directed by Emerald Fennell, and this is her second feature as a director after 2020's Promising Young Woman. And the film stars Barry Keoghan, I probably said that wrong still, as Oliver Quick, Jacob Elordi as Felix Catton, Rosamund Pike as Elizabeth Catton, and Richard Grant as James Catton. Uh, real quick, Paris, I'll start with you on this. What did you think of Promising Young Woman? Um, I love Promising Young Woman. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's a 10 out of 10. It's it's one of my favorites for sure. Um, I'm a I'm a big big fan of Promising Young Woman and I it's disappointing that like it came out in 2020. It was kind of like overshadowed by like the pandemic. People weren't really watching movies, like definitely weren't going to see movies. And it just kind of, uh, I mean, there are a lot of people who have seen it. There, you know, it's not like it just completely got ignored. But overall, it, I don't think it got the um, viewership that it really deserves. Um, and so if there's anyone out there who hasn't seen it, definitely go check it out. Because it's, uh, like I said, it's it's just kind of disappointing the timing of its release, how it, it really didn't benefit the movie. But yeah, I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's one of those, it really did, and I want to say, and Laurent, you might remember better than me, correct if I'm wrong, I think it actually got released either at the, I think it was the end of the year, it was during, during like an award season sprint, even though it wasn't necessarily an award season movie yeah. per se, it got dumped into that in a pandemic, in the pandemic year when everything was like totally out of whack, so it was like, it, it really, yeah, it was not set up for success in any way, and I don't think that's really anyone's fault, it was just circumstantial, I guess you could blame the studio if you wanted to blame sure. anybody. I really liked that movie quite a lot. I thought it really had a lot on its mind about sexism, uh, feminism, yeah. double standards, uh, so many things, frankly, and really went, went for it. And I thought delivered the goods, it really taking down men of all different types, sure. which was interesting. And also had a really ingenious bit about the casting choices. They all she casted all these like air quotes, had played actually played air quotes nice guys in mm -hmm. other movies yeah anyway just really really genius uh casting there what did you think Laurent? yeah i i really i really liked um promising young woman i was actually advocating for for carrie mulligan to win the oscar that year because i felt like she was over. she was that good she was very good and in this movie almost i don't know if you guys knew this but it was almost it almost shot here in oklahoma the script came to the film office it was very much they were they were scouting this location i don't know why they ultimately didn't go with Oklahoma, but imagine it having been made here <laughs> would have been really sick. cool. Um, I really enjoy this film. I, I, I have a tendency to compare it to a movie I saw before this. Um, I think I've lent it to you recently, mm -hmm. uh, Hard Candy. Um, it has a very similar premise in terms of the who's the who's the real predator in this scenario and it in, in, in kind of subverting that. Um, and it's definitely taking down, um, you know, obviously the I mean, it's kind of demonized a certain male behavior, you know what I mean? And I think that it does such a, but I think what Emerald Fennell did with it was gave it this really kind of like, I don't know, this candy coated quality to it that, that made it like, like sweet and also a little venomous, you know, like, mm -hmm. and I, and I, I just loved the aesthetic of the movie oh, yeah. and I loved how she, how she was telling this story, you know? Um, and I thought that, 
Carrie Mulligan was just such a great anchor for the whole thing, and it definitely surprised me in the third act. Certain certain things that it, certain bold. directors that it goes very bold, and I love it. Bold way to yeah. do it, and it, it and actually it upsets a lot of people too. I've heard mm-hmm. people who do not like this movie who are upset with the ending and how and they wanted a diff, they wanted a different idea of it. I I respect the choice that was made. You know, I think that it 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 served the movie in a, in a different way, and it gave me a lot to chew on afterwards. So. Um, I'm, I was a big fan of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we're all big fans. So, so I will say, I, also talking about Eli Roth, directors with a very strong, complete vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Emerald Fennell, first film, knocks mm-hmm. it out of the park. So that leaves us with, hey, what is she going to do next? <laughs> a little film called Saltburn. Now, uh, Paris, we'll just we'll just get the elephant out of the room. Uh, there was, due to circumstances completely out of outside of your control despite you making every effort to actually see the movie were tragically fate uh kept you from seeing saltburn right yeah yeah i being such a big fan of promising young woman with that being her debut especially Mm. like i was so excited for this um I think, yeah, like you you said, she's a director with a very strong vision. I don't think that anyone else could have made Promising Young Woman, which for me, it it um, it was very much so kind of like marketed and received as like a ra- rape revenge kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's a movie about grief. Like that is absolutely what the heart of the movie is. And so I just really connected with it. So when Saltburn was announced, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like... And and also the subject matter, I mean the the premise of it is my bread and butter. Like I I'm here for the weird, the sexual, the the disturbing, the you know um, all of the things that we don't have in theaters uh, usually. So uh, I'm I'm very disappointed to say that like life has been just uh, crazy lately, and I haven't been able to get to it yet. But uh, rest assured that I will be at uh, the first opportunity. We're talking about our local theater having some sort of maintenance issues, so much so that they shut down the whole theater. So you know, it, uh, Lauren, this, this crossed your desk too. It's yeah. it's tough out there, ladies and gentlemen. It's real <laughs> hard to see a lot of movies, especially during a holiday week. So, Paris, thanks for making the effort. I am looking forward to. I uh, seriously can't wait to look uh, here, talk to you after you've seen it, and also look out for your letterboxed review. Um, Lauren Chapman, what did you think of Saltburn? Oh boy, uh, that's literally. I said. That, I think that's the text I sent to you. Oh boy, it's <laughs> oh the first word in my review. It's just, um, I'm happy that this movie exists because it's given me images and sequences to just forever remain in my brain and to be talked about at a dinner party one day. Like, hey, did you all see that? So we can just talk about it. Um, what was that movie with insert fill in the blank ending here? This, this, that, and that. <laughs> oh, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. I, yeah. People walked out of this movie. It made me so happy. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I've just seen. So one, of, one of your friends on Facebook called it demonic. Uh, what, right. So, yeah, exactly. So, but to be fair, like in this circle, even with everything I'm saying, like, I don't think the movie's tame by any means, but we've seen things and i know that when you do get to see it paris like it may, it may not even shock we might be putting it too high and you know to a certain degree um but i will say going in blindly it was nice to be a little bit oh okay we're going here you know like but um i think emerald fresnel's direction has improved on this i feel like she has a a, a firmer grasp 
of um, of you know making this you know the the opulence in the in making this film move. I think it takes a step back on writing for her on this on this regard, and she just she won the Oscar for Promising Young Woman. That's where I think the movie kind of flounders a little bit. You know, um, it it seems to, it's clear to me what the movie is about very early on for me. Um, oh, like and do tell. Yeah, you're uh, not gonna have to talk about this more because yeah, I I'm sitting here for like two thirds of this movie. I'm like, okay, at this point, I'm like, what are we? And then all of a yeah. sudden, well, it becomes be, very clear. Just, and it's referencing movies. I mean, I'm literally wearing a t-shirt and I have the <laughs> the the phone case for Cruel Intentions, like. Uh, it it definitely feels like, and she sat, she's gone on record during the, her press tour to say that Cruel Intentions is one of her favorite movies, and I'm Cruel like, Intentions rules. Cruel Intentions is awesome, yeah. So the fact that she adores that movie, and I was like, knowing that going in, I was like, oh, I see that DNA all over this. You know what I mean? Like, um, the bitchiness, the cuntiness of the characters, the environment, just snarl. Everyone's just nasty and gross, and like, but in a like sexy kind of like in a very I get an Oxford British kind of way. Yeah, it's like okay, but they like they wear these cute clothes, but when the lights go out, shit gets weird. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and so I I admire that it's clear. And she also said she went to Oxford, right? So she was definitely drawing on her experience there. So she seems to know this environment very well. Um, I just think that the film's thesis, like by the time we get to the end and once we know what the movie is about and what's what I felt like I was already ahead of it a long time ago. So getting to that wasn't as impactful for me because um, it does feel like the talented Mr. Ripley by way of cruel intentions for a new generations. That's what it feels like. You know, there's definitely visual nods to both of those movies. There's there's, you know, tonal nods to those. Um, but I think the performances are great. Like everyone's, everyone is like Barry Kyogen is like, I don't know what, I can't decide if he's like, you know, he's cunning and scary and enigmatic at the same time. Like I just, you just can't read behind his face. But he also could be, has this like, he's really good at presenting himself in this like really as innocent, like, innocent soft. docile, but he's yeah. freaking scary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, by the end of this movie, terrifying. Terrifying. And I think that, um, like he possesses you the whole movie. Like you're just, you're like, we're just going to go on this weird odyssey with him the whole time. And I'd, Meeting these characters, I think Rosamund Pike is great. She plays that icy character. If you love Gone Girl, like she's she's phoning that iciness in, you know, like it's great, you know, like and I think that um it's pretty to look at. There's some scenes that I just that are just chef's kiss for me, like bangers for me. Um, I just feel like it's a little intellectually empty. And that for me was a little bit disappointing coming from how intellectually rich I felt that promising young woman was. Um, but that being said, there's enough in it here. It's a mixed bag for me, but I feel like there's enough in it that makes it worth watching, makes it worth discussing, makes it, and I might find myself feeling differently about it as time goes on. Cause I've heard, I've heard people with different responses to it. Yeah. There's been a very, uh, I would say diverse, uh, uh there've been very diverse types of responses I, I've read from this film mm -hmm. after I wouldn't, frankly, I tried to go into this fairly blind. Like I was yeah. like, all right, Saltburn, new movie from animal for now. I love the last one. Uh, it's got a great castle. Let's go. I, had, I think I'd only watched the trailer like one time. I've yeah. been, I've been trying to get better about that just cause I don't like, you know, especially from a much. director. I'm like, I know it's going to be interesting. Yeah. So I, I really come out, I think overall liking it 
a lot more than I know. Like it, for everything, you, all the reasons you've said, the cast is exceptional. Visually, it's really strong. Uh, really great use of score, music uh, in this film. A lot of great editing choices. But hmm, bankrupt, intellectually bankrupt. So here's the thing. I didn't really catch on to what the I, I, the movie was trying to get at until the last act of the movie. And it was a it was a pleasant like, oh, this is what this is about. But then I don't know that the film provided a satisfying statement anywhere within mm. the film about how I'm supposed to feel about the thing it's saying. Sure. Which is, and it, I won't spoil it, but the, like I won't spoil the story, but the idea is middle class people both love, the middle class both love and hate rich people mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And that's kind of, it really took me a long, I don't know why it took me a long time to get on that channel with the movie. Once I did, I said, okay, I see where we're going. And then the movie, the ending is very shocking and goes places. I love it so much. <laughs> and I, I love that it goes places and it's so bold and yeah. ambitious and doesn't give an F. I'm like, yeah. All right. I mean, I'm hearing all of this and it just makes me really excited because like yeah. Cruel Intentions has a crazy ending. Mm. And I wouldn't say it is intellectually empty, but it's definitely kind of vapid it's, uh, it's, oh yeah it's, it's just dumb like it's just yeah. dumb dude <laughs> yeah, like yeah. and that's the fun of it so i'm just like i'm hyped how is jacob Elordi? he's, he's good. great he's, he's good. great i think um I, I preferred him in this than i did in elvis and i mean in uh, priscilla and i think he's quite good in priscilla too so um but i, I also liked him in euphoria so i think he's mm-hmm. kind of carving out a a space for him. Yeah, it's not I, just yeah. a pretty face. I'm excited to see his performance. I saw him with an eyebrow ring in the trailer, yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm like here for this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Eyebrow <laughs> ring, but also goes to Oxford and has a really ultra rich family. You know, Carrie <laughs> Mulligan. We're gonna talk about yeah, that. Yeah, she, she's in it a little bit. A little bit. She has three scenes. I counted them. We kept, yeah. kept saying three or four. She has three scenes. Three. It's really an extended cameo. But I, I, I'll say this. I wanted so much more from that character. I did too. So I know she did a great job. Because yes. I was like, mm-hmm. I wish there was a whole movie just about her. That character <laughs> could have been a nothing burger and we had uh, Carrie right. Mulligan in the role. And right. again, I, I would say, we're not talking about Maestro today, uh, Maestro today but uh, <laughs> you know, Carrie Mulligan continues to sh- outshine a lot of her peers in, in certain circumstances. Yeah. Uh, even when she's given a little less to do. But I, I guess just to put a pin in it, um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to spoil the ending. I guess my thing is, I think at the end of the day, for me, it's more of a detra- the ending is more of a detractor Mm-hmm. It goes for the fences, and it's so like shocking and wild that it feels almost like a oh we're doing this just because we can, not because it actually adds to the thesis. Sure, you know what I mean. That might be a. I don't think it, it does not ruin the movie for me, but it says, huh? Yeah, we had not. There was an opportunity here to say something or or really challenge the audience. Yeah, and instead it went for a very shocking and stylish. Yeah, fun fun scene. Yeah. But that's a long way of saying hollow. That's a strong statement. Strong it ha- statement. And I, it I, has I, a lot on its mind. But to your point, I don't think it's really saying anything new. particularly Let me put it that new way. or interesting by the end. Uh, and I was, there was a good 20 to 25 minutes where I was like, okay, where are we going where, with the thing? What are we doing? And it's that third act. It's yeah. like you're right there and you're like, okay, is there anything left for this to say though? And right. I was like, and then. Instead of doing I don't think that, it had anything else. To, I don't think it had anything else to say, but it had something else to show you. Oh, and so I thought, oh, so I was like, you know, so what? many things. I'll to take show that. Us. I'll take that because for me, honestly, the ending saved me yeah. from that little sluggish part in there towards the end, where I was just kind of waiting for it 
it to rear its head because I felt like it had said everything it had to say and then said it again. So I was like, okay. So I don't think intellectually hollow is probably a little a little harsh. But it doesn't say anything. I don't think it's really saying anything though. So at the I, same time, I don't think you're not all, you're not too I, far I off. I feel like it's saying what has been said before about this subject. So it's just not it, I, I'm waiting for her to say something else about it. Okay, yeah, yeah. The middle really. class hates the hates rich people. Like, hate, okay, both love that. and hate rich people at the same yeah, time. Yeah, 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 that's not new. We've but seen like, that. What are you trying uh, to we, reveal to me about that? We got that last. What was it last year? Or the year before last? We got the menu. We got <laughs> we got Triangle of Sadness. I was like, yeah. I've seen that movie, <laughs> but what are, what is she saying differently about this subject matter that hasn't been said before? And I don't know if she is, but she's at least presenting imagery and vision and and you know what i mean yeah. it, there's there's still a lot to admire about it and so. it's an all-timer it, that the ending is an all-timer unforgettable yeah. so you know kudos to that laron chapman what letter grade would you give saltburn i'm oscillating between a b and a b minus on this and i think when i see it a second time i'll know for sure so for now i'm gonna go with the b minus with the the, the ability to for it to grow on me i'll go b minus B minus and and the minus being, and again maybe if I watch it again, it'll I'll feel a little different. The minus being, man, I just I was like you were so close to comboing, incredible yeah. directing and shocking stuff with something, yeah, and we didn't get the something, but we did get the really cool thing. We got the cool thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. I know, Laron, you're thinking, and Paris, you're probably thinking, wow, we've already had turkey and we've had the cranberry sauce. What more could we want? I think it's time to go to a very filling side item. This time, I'm going to call it the green bean casserole. Of course, I'm talking about the Hunger Games, the ballad of songbirds and mm -hmm. snakes. Mr. Snow, after everything you've seen out there in the world, what are the Hunger Games for? Are you, are you? The Hunger Games, they're to punish the districts. Those tributes don't have a choice. Your role is to turn these children into spectacles, not survivors. We're live! Smile. It's why we have teeth. Imagine it was your name that they pulled. Strange things didn't happen here. I just want to know that somebody still cared about me, that I was still of value. So according to the IMDb synopsis, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes can be described as Curlianus Snow mentors and develops feelings for the female District 12 tribute during the 10th Hunger Games, making this a prequel to the trilogy that we saw about a decade ago. This film was released in theaters on November 17th. And uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes was directed by the previous series staple Francis Lawrence of... Uh, I mean, he's done a lot of things. Um, I am legend. I am legend. Some of the other Hunger Games. What was the? Uh, oh uh, gosh, Constantine. That was it. Yeah, yeah, Constantine. I really like that one. Uh, and it was written by Michael uh, Leslie and Michael Arndt, uh, the latter of whom won an Oscar for Little Miss Sunshine, and also co-wrote uh, the Hunger Games: Catching Fire. That's the second one of the series. And the film stars Tom Blythe as Corleana Snow, the character played by Donald Sutherland in the previous trilogy, and Rachel Zegler as Lucy Gray Barrett, alongside a star-studded supporting cast including Viola Davis, Peter Dinklage. Hunter Schaefer and Jason 
Jason, Jason Schwartzman. So real quick, around the table, and Paris, I'll start with you on this. What exactly is your experience with the Hunger Games franchise previous to this film? Um, I have been a big fan of the Hunger Games. I was a little late to the first movie. I didn't see it like when it came out because honestly, when it came out, I just wasn't interested. I was like, this looks so dumb. Like it just, you know, I don't know. Just it never appealed to me. But then it was like maybe, you know, a couple of years later, I was taking a mythology class and I had to watch it for that um, to learn about heroines. And I fell in love with it. I was like, oh, wow, this is nothing like the movie I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so ever since then, I mean, I've seen all the movies. I love all the movies. I've read the original uh, trilogy. Um, I've not read uh, uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. But I have read the original three um and I love them. They're actually some of my favorite books. Like they still, um, I think the ending to the trilogy is one of my favorite endings to just any nice. series ever. Like it's just so powerful. It s- says so much. It's so good. So I'm really invested in the Hunger Games as far as um, that storyline. I wasn't. I didn't actually, like, I haven't read The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes because I just, like, don't care. Like, because if, like, what made me care about The Hunger Games was Katniss. It was Mm -hmm. PETA. It was those characters. Like, and if those elements are missing, I'm not as invested. Um, But I am a big fan. And, um, yeah, I I think this movie is an interesting continuation of the world of The Hunger Games. Certainly an interesting continuation. Um, well, we'll talk about it in a second. Laurent, what is your experience with this franchise to date? Um, I read the books and I saw the films. Um, they they were always, I always feel like the more grown up version of, of um, where we are, where like, if you were growing up with Harry Potter and you were growing up with the Lord of the Rings, the Hunger Games was that like, this is the more adult version of the, you know, that that's what it kind of felt like to me. Um I feel like it does borrow a lot from Battle Royale if you've oh, seen, yes. if you've seen that. I've I mean, it's the same premise, but it's 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 set in a different universe, and um, and there's a lot, obviously, a lot more world building in the Hunger Games. Um, it was a great launching pad for um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, the the movie star. You know what I mean? Like, um, not just the indie darling that we'd known her to be. Um, it definitely launched her career in much the same way that Kristen Stewart's was with Twilight. I hate that series, but she, but you know. But it gave us Christian Stewart, though, and I'm and I'm thankful for that. Um, and Robert Pattinson. And Robert, pa- yeah, it gave us both. You're right, yeah, very true. <laughs> gave us both of them. Um, I, I like. I really like the first two films. Um, I have. I do have some issues with the third film. Um, third one or the third and the fourth one? Because I broke the a third particular book. choice uh, with um, what's Prim. A particular choice, what they do with Prim's character at the end for me was troublesome. I, I understand why. Um, I just, for me, it just kind of sucked the the momentum out of it for me because I was like, well, this is the catalyst for everything. Like, this is why this started. She sacrificed herself for this. And then we come to this moment and it's like, was it all for, you know what I mean? I mean, like, there's other things that happen as a result of it. And so something does come of it. I guess just personally, I was disappointed because I wanted to see, I wanted to see that through to the end as well. But that's the hopeful, hopeful ending. And that's not really what the Hunger Games is trying to teach us, you know? And so 
I respect it while still having reservations about it. But that being said, I enjoy all the films. Um, the second one is my favorite, Catching Fire. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I have a good relationship with it in general. I think there it's a fun series. I think it has a lot to say politically, socially. There's a lot. There's a lot more going on in its brain than I think some of the more um, teen teen fan. You know that this era of uh, what is uh, young adult young adult um, genre. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm not gonna take a step because I do love the Harry Potter novels. And yeah, I love Harry Potter. Um, I, I this obviously there's a lot of especially the the later Harry Potter novels. I think get a lot darker than the first like couple and the, the same goes for the movies, but I think sure. it's extra true in the, the novels. So I wouldn't say this is the more grown up version of it. It, 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 it is in the way it presents a dystopian future. And, um, it's very violent. It is extremely mm -hmm. violent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More graphic. I would say a lot more yeah. graphic than Harry Potter because Harry Potter. It's like you get hit with a spell and you're dead, but <laughs> this is like, no, you can you get stabbed or stabbed you and you bleed out. And <laughs> she talked, yeah, it's very graphic. Uh, so in that sense, I guess you could say, uh, it's more PG 13 than PG. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, 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 here's what I'll say. I, I, uh, before the, there's a lot of hype around the movie before it came out. I saw that it was a, was a Gary Ross. I think did the first one, mm -hmm. it wasn't Francis Lawrence, but, uh, and I, I was a big fan of some of his earlier work. So I powered through the first three novels before that first movie came out and they're very easy to read. Yeah. I mean, it's young adult literature for a reason that kind of fits yeah. the, but they're, the they're, they're fast paced. Yeah. Very easy to read. Very easy to pick up. They move fast, the brisk. I uh, believe they're written in first, first person, person, which yeah. yeah, makes it really effective. It's hard mm -hmm. to do that in mm -hmm. like anything. Super hard. In fact, a lot of times there's a rule among writers is not to do that unless you have a very specific yeah. reason to do it. Um, but she does uh, the uh, Stephanie Collins, right? Or no, uh, Suzanne, Suzanne Collins. Collins she does a great job with the prose. I thought the film adaptations were great. I did think that the second film, both the novel and the film, were my favorite. It's my favorite chapter. I'm a fan. Uh, I really like what they're doing. I think if you're going to give teenagers young adult literature, make it meaningful. Make it meaningful. Give it things to say. And it also really, like you say, portrays violence in a pretty intense way. But frankly, as a society, we probably should be reflecting more on the consequences of violence, yeah. even in our young adult literature. That said, when they announced the novel was in 2020, I think this prequel novel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I feel like it was either right before or right at the beginning of the pandemic, and they were making a movie, I'm sitting here thinking... It's another one of those, but why? But why? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes that works out. Earlier this year, we talked about Barbie. My, my statement was, well, I don't think we needed this movie. And it's like, well, they didn't need it, but it was freaking awesome. But why did they make that movie? Well, I, now that I've seen it, I understand. This is one of those, I'm walking away from the movie, and I'm still thinking, this is not a bad movie. Yeah. It's a very well-made movie. I think the directing, I think the script's pretty solid. I think the acting is mm, kind of over the place, but mostly good. <laughs> mostly mostly good. good. Not as strong as the original sure. leads, I would say. But this is just a choice Suzanne Collins made when she wrote the book. And I still don't know how I feel about it quite. And I don't think the film quite knows how to feel about it. Okay, so you're going to do a prequel. That, okay, I, I understand that. You're going to make the prequel about the equivalent to Hitler and why he became who he became. And that's a choice, especially in the current environment. I'm just sitting here thinking, why are we romanticizing this This is a very this weird choice. Like, okay, Star Wars gets away with it for Darth Vader, but even when you see the prequel films with Star Wars, which again, all sorts of problems with those things, but the vision that George Lucas had was a lot bigger and more sprawling. Mm -hmm. It was like a big intergalactic romance thing. Like, and I'm like, okay, 
I can I can get on board with this. In this case, did we need to know? Did anyone ever wonder and say, I wonder how snow how snow got to be snow? How snow <laughs> landed on top. <laughs> God. <laughs> that line. Oh um, yeah. So 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 that is my inherent kind of I'm not sure how to feel about the movie because I feel like that's a very flawed premise in which to develop the story. Yeah, it's a mixed motivation. And I I, I don't know. I I mean I also don't think this is a bad film. I, I found a lot to like about it. Right. Um, I mean, Viola Davis is chewing up the scenery with this. Love her in anything. And the fact that Dude, her and Jason Schwartzman between the two of them, every like, scene yeah. is just like, oh, they understood the assignment. And I feel like it was nice to see Hunter Schaefer, you know, in this, you know, I wish there was a little bit more to the role, but I liked the role that was there and loved, loved her in euphoria. And, um, and so I guess Jacob Pelorty and her like competing for Thanksgiving huh, uh, with their movies. But no, I think that, um, in general, like the, this one, there's there's not a character to really just pour your heart into and and go along with for its really lengthy you know runtime. I felt like I was just like, okay, like you know what I mean. I felt like the Coriolanus Snow character, like they tried to make him empathetic in the beginning, but I just don't think. I think he only has two dimensions. I don't think there's a He does his his arc in this movie is non-existent. He, he, his arc his arc is his arc is is it possible for this person to be his motivations from the beginning are very clear. Yeah. And the whole kind of I think the dramatic tension they're going for is but maybe he actually has a heart. Does he really have a heart? But we as the audience know, given the character that he doesn't have a heart. We know that he ultimately winds up not having one. Right, so. right. So 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 you're like, okay, so it just makes all that time where you can tell they're trying really ha- hard to add humanity to him not working kind of fruitless because you yeah. know it's where it's gonna where it's gonna shake up at the end and so i don't know for uh, a movie that's uh just shy of two hours and 50 minutes long so it, it's it's very long yeah. very long movie yeah. paris what did you think yeah um i agree that i don't think it's a bad movie at all um i'm like i think it's cool it's good um I have many thoughts, and I'm going to try to abbreviate them as much as possible because I do think in almost three hours there is a lot to talk about. Um, I think, so for me, I wasn't initially interested. What I was really excited about when the movie started was like, oh, I was like, okay, so we're going to learn about how the Hunger Games came to be. How how did they start? Because, I mean, we have vague ideas. We know, like, the gist of it. But I was like, oh, we're going to see, like, how it actually started. Mm. How did this become the solution to their problems? And... I, I just felt like, to me, that was the interesting thing, and I just wish we would have had more of mm-hmm. that. I think the focus of the movie is on Coriolanus Snow, which, my God, the names in this movie. <laughs> Are you kidding Lucy me? Lucy Gray. Lucy Gray. <laughs> I mean, just Coriolanus, like, what was, uh, God, Plinth? Yes, uh, I know the one. Jesus, <laughs> yes. yeah. Anyways, obnoxious, ridiculous. Yeah. Every single time someone would say Coriolanus, it took me out of the movie because it was just, like you could tell they were having a hard time saying it. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I um, I think really what the movie was trying to do was give us a character study of uh, Coriolanus Snow. 
Um, and I think that it does an okay job of that. Um, I think that maybe what some people are taking away is not what the intention was. And I'm trying not to be like too spoilery here because it, it like it's kind of hard to explain it without going into specifics. But um, I, that's what I really was there for. And then it doesn't even get into that really until like the third act. Right. And by then right. I'm done. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Like at the same time, I was like, oh, we're finally getting into this. Right. But I'm done. Two like, hours I, into please. the movie. <laughs> yeah. So it was like yeah. if it would have, I felt like the third act was very strong. I wish the rest of the movie would have been like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, it's interesting to compare Tom Blythe to uh, the holdovers is Dominic Sessa because he is a more experienced actor, but this is really his like breakout right. lead role. Like, Fair. so I really enjoyed his performance. Yeah, he's I solid. thought he was amazing. Um, I was very invested in his performance. Like I don't, I don't know if it would have worked as well had someone else played him because I just felt like he did a really good job, um, and I'm inter I'm interested to see him in other things now because I'm I'm a I'm a fan. Unfortunately, Rachel Ziegler, I did not like her performance. Um, I think she is a uh, singer first and an actor second, and. I think the movie is really trying to rely on the singing aspect more than it would if they had a stronger actor. Hmm. I think they're hmm. making up for it with all the singing. Um, she's a great singer. She it's is just, a great she singer. She did not, her accent. <laughs> the oh accent was my the gosh. choice. The accent was a choice. A, 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 my, my journey with the accent. Oh my gosh, I didn't know she was doing an accent. I cannot focus on this movie. Two hours in. All right. I think yeah. I finally hear. I think I finally got it. Last mm -hmm. act drops the accent. Drops the accent. Okay. Now I'm just distracted by the fact that you no longer have the accent. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also like to the character. I didn't really like her character. I did like aspects of her character, but I wasn't, I thought they were trying way too hard mm -hmm. to make her like a badass and make her like, Katniss, you know, and like how, and she just wasn't, I don't know if that was Rachel Ziegler or the writing of the character, but she just didn't pull it off. And I also don't like that. Okay. Like there, <laughs> there's a weird age dynamic here between Coriolanus Snow and Lucy Graybeard because the hunger games are for minors mm -hmm. 12 to 18. And like, he's very much so an adult and like that's, that's creepy right from the get go because they don't tell us their ages. I never thought about but that. But she could literally be twelve. Like she could be as young as twelve or as old, old as, as eighteen. As and old she as and I think but, when I looked it up, it was sixteen. Yeah. And he's eighteen. So I'm like, okay, it's not like the worst, but it's so predatory. I think is part of the point. You know, songbirds and snakes. Some of the people in this are songbirds. Some of them are snakes. Like. Mm -hmm. But anyways, it, I did. I wasn't invested in the love story. I think we're supposed to be invested in the love story. I think you're also supposed to be like scared for her um, mm -hmm. at the same time. Uh, but it just, yeah, I just wasn't compelled. And I kind of walked away being like, okay, well, we learned a little bit about snow. <laughs> but what was this movie telling us that we didn't already know. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. it's a mixed bag for me. Th there's enough alluded to in the uh, in the original films that we can glean 
what they decided to spend three hours showing us. You know what I mean? Like they didn't expand upon it in in a in a, in a big enough way to really well, warrant his, it. Again, know? for a variety of reasons, I just don't think the characters arc felt like an arc. And and maybe it was some of the acting choices. Maybe it was the lack of the foil. Maybe it was the way they wrote the character. It just it just felt talking about hollow. It just feels like a hollow journey. Now there is a lot of cool world building stuff in this movie. Yeah. I did. I actually I will say it actually wet my appetite. I haven't done it yet. Just because of the all the movies to watch, but I'm like, I kind of want to go back and watch those old movies now, yeah. um, which is good. Yeah, it it watch starts out really strong. It does. Like, the first, like, five minutes, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, like, what I want to see. I, I will say, too, uh, when we're talking about arc, I do think, ultimately, what the movie is doing, and it's, 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 it's explicitly stated, um, and it's one of... Uh, I think that they're talking about, and they talk about this in other movies too, like what is the purpose of the Hunger Games? This has been a conversation throughout the entire series. What is the point of this movie? Right. Yes. Yeah, that. But I think that, um, I think that I did actually appreciate that more than I thought I initially would. Like maybe I wasn't a huge fan of the movie from an entertainment perspective, but I actually I could see the things they were trying to do. And I think what it is, is um, they say the Hunger Games are, you know, uh, many people have different answers, but one of the answers is to remind us who we are. And I think that through the exploration of Coriolanus Snow's character, that's really the thesis that they're trying to show us is... Are we, it's like I can't even really, I felt like I could relate very much so to his character in the way of like how bitter you become when you are mistreated in life and poverty and like things like that. But does that make us any more deserving of, you know, like that, that juxtaposition of it's not just the capital versus the districts. It's not, it's all of us. And we're not really that different from each other. And I don't think that that's very profound, but I do think that, I do think that the, there's trying to be meta with what is the point of the hunger games? And like, what is the point of this movie? Now, whether that point is like entertaining or not, I don't know, but I did think that that was at least something to appreciate, I guess. Well, and again, I think that, to your point, the idea is, I mean, when you look at it through that lens, I think it's safe to say this character, like I said earlier, he really doesn't change that much. At the end of the movie, he is who you he presents himself as at the beginning. Sure. But the journey is, but is he going to be tempted to have a heart? And you see this and there's a break they break, they have they they like live in the ambiguity of does he actually care about Lucy Gray? I right? think that's what I was trying to get at is I don't agree with the notion that he doesn't have a heart. Even evil people have hearts. They are just sure. they're complicated and nuanced. It's not like it's easy to take President Snow in his Donald Sutherland era and be like, yeah, he's all evil. There's no redeeming qualities, but the truth of the matter, it doesn't matter who you are or how like bad you are. You are a human and you do have, everyone has redeeming qualities and no one, it's not black and white like that. I don't think that he doesn't have a heart because I think that if you look at it through that lens, then that's the antithesis of the movie. Well, I, I want to just elaborate. I, I was trying to use, does he have a heart as shorthand? The, the, the question is, is, is he ultimately, does he contain the ability to 
have empathy. Yeah, have empathy for others. The, yeah, it's that's like that's the better e- way to present. Yeah, it. even yeah. like quote unquote evil people have hearts. I think that's really the biggest yeah, 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 totally. like part of it, and which is important for us to understand because in our society. What we tend to do with like criminals and, you know, just people who have been canceled or like just people who are horrible people, we other them and we think of them as monsters when they're not monsters, they're humans. And it's not to justify it, but it's like if we as a society forget that there's nothing different between us and people who we deem as evil, as far as we are all human who have feelings and emotions and histories um i think that's really a large part of what the film's trying to get at right but i guess my, my thing is the the arc for him though is the, the sort of dramatic arc question and maybe this is more of an excuse i agree with everything you've said it's definitely trying to explore the complexity of the human condition and that yes there is not just evil or sorry i made the short joke about the shorthand earlier but it, does he have the ability to make good decisions and why would he make decisions even the right word the ethical decisions the decisions that put others ahead of himself and yeah. the movie explores and, him, and then ultimately why he decided not to do that and him being in the same exact position as certain other characters like he's literally in the same position in many ways as plinth mm-hmm. i think is the name I, I right yeah um and it shows the juxtaposition of oh these are two people who are in the same exact situation in the same position and they're completely different i don't know it's just like i don't think it's like you know a masterpiece of analysis it's just i could appreciate that aspect of it well it's a night the the philosophy behind that is a, an interesting idea mm-hmm. i just don't know that they landed it yeah i agree yeah. And, i agree and again, it's one of those where anytime you explore the kind of villainous figures, which again, I, I like that we're diving into the ambiguity because ultimately you find out it's not so clean. We even going back to the Star Wars analogy, you're like, yeah, Darth Vader's more complicated than, you yeah, know, just the, the boogeyman, the boogie guy. Yeah. But I guess my thing is because we've, we've, we've kind of been down that road before. What, what is this one bringing to the table new? And it, yeah. and I don't think it's, it's not a total failure. It just doesn't come out with a clear, I think it's the like, movie ends triumphant. I'll just put it this way. I mean, I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler. It's a prequel. The movie ends on a triumphant note for that character for that right character. after he does a very despicable thing. And I'm just yeah. left wondering, I'm like, what, <laughs> what does this movie want me to feel right now? Feel about him. Well, right. that's, yeah, I think it's an ominous ending. Like it's, you know, he, it's triumph for, it's for him, ominous. but that's ominous for us yeah. because right. we know what it brings. The rest um, of And I think that really like, you know, I, it remind. so when we're talking about kind of like, just like evil versus good or whatever. Like I, I always go back to like um, mind Hunter when they were trying to uh, the David Fincher um, series um, or Manhunter. Is it mine? Yeah, it's mine. Hunter. Mind Hunter. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there's just a part where they're really struggling because uh, this is before this kind of science in t- studying uh, serial killers or they didn't even have the word for serial killers yet. They, they they just deemed these people as, you know, evil monsters. But it goes to show, though, that there is a benefit to actually exploring these people as humans and why they are the sure. way they are. Because as a society, we've benefited from that. If we didn't understand serial killers, we mm. wouldn't be able to prevent them. And so, like, I think this is a very paint-by-numbers. This is for teenagers. Like... 
I don't think they need it to be as profound as like we as adults mm-hmm. would need yeah. it to be. Sure. So fair. like a 16 a, a year old watching this, that might be enough to make them start thinking, oh, okay. Like I think it starts uh, turning the wheels in their minds of starting to think about these things. Sure. Um, and that, yeah, I just, you know, the audience really is for young people. And it's like, you know, I think there's a different set of standards for like kids and teenagers. Mm, sure. Well, see, clearly we could have done a whole. <laughs> just on, just on the song. Yeah. It's a long movie. It is a long movie. And there is, frankly, to your point, Barry, it does, there is a lot to unpack. Sure. I, almost, I almost didn't include it on the list, but I, I thought we needed to at least acknowledge this movie came out. With that said, LaRon Chapman, what letter grade would you give The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes? Um, I give this a B. Um, I, there was enough... Um, there was enough in the way of production value and in, in performance um, for some of the supporting cast. Um, and I really, um, a couple of set pieces that were really exciting and thrilling um, that that were memorable enough to make it worth a watch, you know? So um, yeah, I'll give this a solid B. Solid B. Paris? Um, I think I'm going to go with a C plus. All right, I'll bring us home. C, right down the middle. And I kid you not, you're going to make fun of me. And I guess... Spoilers for the last line of the movie, which I will not provide any context for, brought it from a C plus to a C just because I, I couldn't take it seriously, even though there's only like 30 seconds left. But snow lands on oh, top. Okay. Is, is it snow the... lands on top, delivered unironically. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to ask, because the actual last line is Donald Sutherland's voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's which true. I liked that. That's cool. That I liked it. the, I liked, yeah. That, that yeah. was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. But yes, I agree with you on the other last But line. I also yeah. was having a hard time hearing that one because I was laughing so hard with it. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, okay, so, so yeah. long story short, my uh, my wife Laura and I were walking to the theater and he said, we said, this is a prequel. It's got to do prequel things. So we started doing the whole, like making fun of Solo. Callbacks. How did he get this blaster? And I said, and I said, just watch. We, we both like watch. They're getting on some really dumb snow pun as a last line. And then we started just riffing and making up and literally said almost verbatim that mm-hmm. line and mm-hmm. as a joke. And then when he said that, we <laughs> both looked at each other and just lost it. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, it I think silly. that line it's it's yeah, but the line that's after that, I'm like, oh that brings it back. Brings it home, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I yeah, it's definitely uh trying to bring the themes home a little more for sure. Uh, but that did uh, the uh, the line about the snow on top definitely write down from. Oh, SC+. oh, and just one quick note. I think it's interesting too because like uh, we have Peter Dinklage here, who's from Game of Thrones, and the like the significance of the last name Snow in that series mm-hmm. like had me thinking about that in relation to this series. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, Peter Dinklage is a great. He's Peter amazing. Performance. He's great. I that's another one of those where you know I don't want to say turn it into a miniseries, but I will say there was definitely. An implied history between those two characters mm-hmm. that I really almost like a Snape Harry Potter sort of thing where you're like, why does he hate him so much? And they don't really you find out it is answered in the end, but I definitely would have liked to have seen yeah. that expanded upon a little more because I'm the whole I'm thinking like, man, Peter Dinklage is I mean, both of these performers are so good. I feel like there's yeah more left on the table there, but I'll and ask. I know we have to move on, but just uh, I have to shout out Tigress. Tigress yeah. was my favorite character, and mm-hmm. her last line I really liked. Yeah. I'm trying to remember it, but um, she refresh she, my memory. Uh, she is uh, a Coriolanus asks her, "How do I look?" Oh yeah, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. her response, I was just like, "Yep, yep." Look like yeah, your father, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it said all you need to know. Mm-hmm. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. That actually was, by the way, if you look at the box office numbers, that was the winner of the holiday weekend, despite it being in its second weekend. Uh, oh, okay. Beats uh, all the other films that we're talking about today, which wow. I, I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Sure. I was surprised. Uh, but hey, looks like there's still more Appetite for the Hunger Games. With that said, let's move on to something a little sweeter. You know, like we're starting to segue towards the end of the meal. You know, like maybe a film like Disney's new animated film, Wish. Three, two, one. Asha! I'm here. I'm here. Whew, just uh, one second. Let me catch my breath. <laughs> Once upon a time stood Rosas, the most magical kingdom, founded by a king with the power to grant wishes. You are their handsomest, most beloved king. You're right. I am a handsome king. So according to IMDb, Wish can be described as Wish will follow a young girl named Asha who wishes on a star and gets a more direct answer than she bargained for when a troublemaking star comes down from the sky to join her. Wish was released exclusively in theaters on November 22nd, 2023. And the film is co-written by Jennifer Lee, the writer, director of Frozen and Frozen 2. And she's also notably the chief creative officer at Disney Animation, which is also the 62nd film produced by Walt Disney Animation Studios. Uh, the film stars Ariana DeBose as Asha, Chris Pine as King Magnifico, and Alan Tudyk as Valentino the Goat. Also, this was uh, supposed to be, it was sort of marketed as... 100 Years of Disney, mm-hmm. uh, their their centennial film to kind of cap off 100 Years of Disney. Before we get into Wish specifically, I thought it might be good to just do a quick pulse check with you all. What is your take on Disney animation as of late? And Paris, I'll start with you. I mean, I kind of have no opinion. I feel like I haven't really been paying attention to Disney in yeah. the last few years. Like, I mean... It's fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that I says just, it all. That yeah, I mean, I just... I, I, I haven't seen Wish. I wanted to go and see it with my nephews. I just, again, life, oh my gosh, has been crazy, and I had, didn't get around to it. I wouldn't really care about that movie if it wasn't one that I could go see with my nephews. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like that's the appeal is like, oh, I could see it with my nephews, and that's about it. Otherwise, I would never watch it. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't, like, I know Soul came out like a few years ago yeah that one's actually and i mean if we want to split hairs that's actually uh pixar which oh is it which okay. disney does own but it's a st- separate yeah, animation so studio I, that shows you how much i even know about what is even going on like lately i don't even know <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i just yeah i i don't really have an opinion because i just it has not um been a priority for me yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. fair Laurent, how about you i would like in what's going on with disney to some extent, what's happening with Marvel, you know, where it and it's le- last leg over here, you know, it's still it's like it's grasping for something that we've, you know, and it's showing us a lot of the same over and over and over and over again. I did like Soul quite a bit. Elemental came out this year. It's also Pixar. Uh, also Pixar. <laughs> Look, I don't know anything either. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, no. I think this is all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this right, says right, more right. than yeah. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna split hairs and just just uh, just just uh, add some clarification here. And, and it's fine that you. Frankly, sure. I think this is kind of proving my point a little bit. There's Walt Disney Animation, and then there's Pixar. 
Okay. Pixar, most notably, launched with Toy Story, and I think Disney bought them, and I think it was like 06 uh, or so. It was right around the time Cars came out. Yeah. Disney Animation starts all the way back with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Okay. And, uh, so what would you say? So, is that, What was the last Disney? So, so, well, yeah. Let me give you a rundown of, say, um, some of the more recent animated Disney films. Let's start with 09, Princess and the Frog. 2010, mm-hmm. Tangled. 2011, a Winnie the Pooh movie. 2012, Wreck-It Ralph. 2013, Frozen. 2014, Big Hero 6. 2016, we got both Zootopia and Moana. Okay. And then uh, 2018, we got Ralph Breaks the Internet. 2019, Frozen 2. March 2021, we got Raya and the Last Dragon and Encanto in November of that year. And then last year's was Strange World. Okay. And now we have Wish. Okay. Um, so I liked more most of the more of those than I didn't. But I will say that I I feel like I feel like Wish feels like um a, like it was put in a blender. Um, they took some ideas from a bunch of different movies that have already happened, and the end result feels something a little bit warmed over. Like it needed, it needed more time. You know what I mean? To for them to you know flesh out uh, the story because the central story is is pretty generic. You know, um, the villain and the whole conflict is very. You know what I mean? It's kind of streamlined. Um, there's not really too high of stakes, I would say. Um, but I, you know, and I really wanted to like this a lot because I really like Ariana DeBose, um, who won the Oscar for West Side Story, um, uh, which is funny because Rachel Zegler was in that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the, they're all competing against each other now. No, nobody's friends anymore. Um, no, it just, I wanted this to do well because again, you have, you have, um, an ethnic lead. She has braids and freckles and she's, it's just not a character you get to see very often get. The platform of that, you know, because again, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's a rare thing. And so when it happens, I want to celebrate it. You know what I mean? Like, but I can't say I walked away from this particularly impressed. And I hate that, you know, for, you know, um, the future of it, because it means that maybe they'll say, they'll, they'll make that argument that maybe we need to tell more stories with, you know, blonde hair, whatever kind of, cause maybe that's, you know, I don't want it to be a reason to not keep making movies with characters like this, if that makes sense. Even right. if this movie for me wasn't particularly successful. Yeah. So you said it needed a little more time in the oven. This whole thing feels like a rough draft. the The story is oversimplified. It it just everything about it's kind of generic. I mean, you have uh, the princess has a talking goat. Okay, but we've had lots of talking animals be companions mm-hmm. to the princesses and other movies. And I didn't even think he was, the goat was particularly funny in this movie. Like I don't think I laughed at him one time and that's supposed <laughs> to, you know, that's supposed to be your comedic relief. There is betrayals that happen in the movie, but I was not whatsoever invested in the character relationships at all. And even the idea that the whole threat of the wishes just it really never it's gonna sound terrible it never really sunk in why i was supposed to be so worried about, about everything yeah. that's happening sure and yeah the villain prince king Manifco, whatever just super 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 generic yeah and listen none of us at this table with the target audience for this film sure the, the target audience is especially children but also parents who just want to find yeah. a decent movie to enjoy you look at the, the filmography, I actually like most of these quite a bit yeah. uh, of the recent run. Uh, they're all pretty good. Moana, I thought, was awesome. I thought yeah. I actually thought Ryan the Last Dragon, we reviewed this on the podcast with Lauren. Also uh, very underrated. Really underrated Disney film. And it brings me no joy to say that I just thought this was a mediocre at best. It's not 
the 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 it's basement's not, not too low. Like as in there is a certain tier of quality that's consistent. The animation mm-hmm. pops. There's a couple of songs out. There's seven new songs. I liked. I noted that I liked three of them, and but they're they're not like you said top tier Disney songs. No, but no. I would like if you compare any of the songs in this movie to. I mean, even going back to Encanto or Frozen Two or Moana, like it doesn't hold a candle to any. That's of those. true. I don't I, think I can't argue that. Well, I'll say this: my I, we took me Craig and I took my niece to go see it, and her review when we walked out, we're like, did you like it? Because both of us are about the same with it. Um, but we're like, maybe she at least liked it. She was like, yeah, I like Trolls. Trolls better though. Oh wow! I was like, well, that tells that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> you know, like she's so, like, I like DreamWorks better now. So I, yeah. I don't think she'll be rewatching it. So that says to me that maybe it's 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 very fine. You know what I mean? Like, right. So. Well, uh, and I will also say I saw this in the theater. First of the theater was not was barely a third full, which was somewhat surprising. And yeah, I, I didn't get a lot of response from my audience, which was also including children. So that yeah. was surprising. But, you know, I'm sure we have listeners out there who liked the movie or at least their children did. Uh, so I'm not going to be trying to be too harsh on it. But, my again, you and I have talked about this before. I'm a lot less forgiving when a giant major studio, one of the biggest companies in the world, certainly in the entertainment industry, is unable to produce a high-quality film because they have basically unlimited resources to pull sure. it off. And when you look at the resources that they have – to pull that lever on this movie, especially as their air quotes centennial film, and they show up with a subpar film, I'm like, that is yeah. a lot of wasted talent and a lot of wasted time. Yeah. And it's a There's no reason to be phoning things in. Not that just don't so, say it. Yeah. If it's if it's not that's the thing. It feels like the script needed like three more revisions. Yeah. The score like everything just needed more time. Yeah. That's what it felt like. For to sure. Me. So, Lamont, what letter grade would you give Wish? I will grant it um, a C. You know, it's a, it's it's not terrible. It's very mediocre. But the the worst sin of it is that it's forgettable. Yeah. You know, my, there's not much I remember from it. So lots of Easter eggs for. I'd also be curious about what the Disney fans think because there's tons of yeah, like th- weird. And I Easter thought that eggs. was going to be the thing I was yeah. invested in. I was going to be like, oh, that's Cinderella. Oh, that's whatever. And I, I feel like some of them are there, but it, they're still kind of. Well, and there's this weird implication that all these characters technically exists in the, in the same world and, and it, like, that's not really fleshed out very well but there's a yeah. couple of like oh i'm bambi i'm like okay cool like bambi's in this too like but it's like i don't know it's bambi yeah i don't want to spoil what some of the things are but there's like lots of like you're like wait was this is this trying to say that this isn't all of these movies exist in the same the same wish world, world yeah, yeah yeah that's all yeah, yeah i don't know it's kind of kind of messy but uh yeah i i wish upon a star <laughs> That Disney makes a better movie for their next picture because I gonna give this a C minus. Okay. Because yes, it is extremely forgettable, and even the things that it does, you would think it does well, it just does kind of okay. But yeah. hey, the animation looked cool. Yeah. Well, that said, it's time to start moving on to dessert for our review of Napoleon. General, we are discovered. Good. Wait. I'm not built like other men. Generals gathered in their masses. Move along now. Those in power only see me as a brute, unfit for higher office. But I follow in the footsteps of Alexander the Great and Caesar. 
Like a good slice of pie, Ridley Scott coming in clutch, reliable as ever. According to IMDb, Napoleon can be described as an epic that details the checkered rise and fall of French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte and his relentless journey to power through the prism of his addictive, volatile relationship with his wife, Josephine. This film was released in theaters exclusively on November 22nd and is expected to be released on Apple TV at a later date, allegedly with a four-hour director's cut. This film reteams director Ridley Scott and writer David Scarpa, who is uh, the the, guy, the writer who did the script for All the Money in the World a few years back, most notable for replacing uh, Kevin Spacey with uh, Christopher Plummer. Best and decision they ever made. Best, and it was yeah. That's the greatest one of the greatest. That's magic a power trips. move, yeah. that, right there. Just like we're gonna go back and reshoot your scenes just so you're not in our movie. <laughs> I they love even, that. Like, re-edited the trailer. With the same with him scenes, in it. but with different actors. And the movie still came out on time in December. I remember it's that. It's insane. It's in that. Yeah. Ridley Scott. What a magician. Yeah. If for no other reason that he just gets it done. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I just, I just have to note this. My dude, as much love as we give Marty Scorsese and to a much lesser degree Spielberg for kind of like working in their old age. Yeah. Ridley Scott is 85 years old. Yeah, he and he alien. is still cranking out. His... He made a joke how he's like, I've made four movies since Marty Scorsese started Killers in the Flower Moon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, almost like it's a contest or something. Yeah. So I just want to call that out. So, hey, real quick, let's talk about late career Ridley Scott. Just just briefly. Laurent, what do you what do you think of the the elder statesman Sir Ridley Scott? I'm I'm a look, the the films of his that I love, I love. And then he he has some misses where he just but I always appreciate the ambition, you know? Uh, I don't love every one of his films, but he has given me some like iconic movies that are all-timers for me. So um, if we're talking about the later latter end of his career, I'm impressed that he's in his 80s and he is still you know, banging out epics like this and they don't, it don't seem to be faltering in terms of craftsmanship, you know? Like it's all, he still has that, that, that quality, you know? And so... Um, you and I talked about um, it was interesting the year that the year of House of Gucci versus the last duel and if you had told me that I was going to appreciate the last duel over House of Gucci I wouldn't have with Lady Gaga in it like that wasn't going to happen you know like but I, I wound up loving the last duel and feeling very disappointed with House of Gucci so it just shows you you know what I mean like he you know he can he can surprise you Dude released two movies in the same year within like what was it three months of one yeah. another. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy time. No other director cranks yeah. him out this fast at this level of at, 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 at this quality. Mm-hmm. Even if you say you think all of his films are like ideologically bankrupt, they star the best actors. They look really good, and usually they've got things to say. Yeah, but even if you hate the things they have to say, you have to be like, yeah, I mean, this stuff looks pretty good. Paris, what is your uh, your take on uh, late career Ridley Scott? Uh, late career, uh, specifically, um, I really love The Last Duel. Um, I think that that was uh, obviously a very highly divisive movie. Um, but uh, the strength to that, um, I think what it what worked for me was Nicole Hall of Center um, being yes. the writer. I mean, I know that... Ben Affleck and Matt Damon like co-write it, but it's Nicole Hall of Center who really, I think, 
And you can tell which which chapters she wrote. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can you can like you can see her hand in it, and yeah, it's she's such a strong writer that it really works for me. Um, yeah, I I echo kind of what Lauren said. He has definitely some of like uh, like Alien is just a masterpiece that's absolutely perfect. And then I like I grew up with uh, movies like Matchstick Men, which I always really loved, and like I think he has definitely some like really good um things but like overall i just don't i just don't care about most of his movies like i mean he just makes a lot of things that i just do not care napoleon being one of them i haven't seen it i was going to watch it again just life happened um but like he doesn't i don't think he makes movies for me um so i just uh, uh, with the exception of like the last duel and some of his older movies but definitely like lately I don't think, I don't think, uh, you know, like uh, it's Napoleon's just like not a movie for me. So, sure. you know, he's, uh, I respect him and I think he's good. Um, but he's also just very off putting for me as well. Okay. That's disappointing to hear, but I, I can understand. He definitely has, I feel like, leaned a certain direction in his uh, later careers. He also, frankly, is very much in the point of his career where he does not give a fuck <laughs> like yeah. yeah in fact my favorite yeah. thing to do uh my favorite thing about his movies coming out is just as much as the movie is his press tour where he basically just insults everyone who asks yeah. him questions and he's like you know you know you you know famously have never won an oscar he's like, i don't give a shit about oscars he's like if i gotta keep making movies at 80s that's all i give a shit well, about i don't agree with him in any sense of the word but it is just old man yelling at people and <laughs> yeah I really dig almost his entire career. I, I especially mid late career works for me a lot. Going to Napoleon though, I will say to your your point, Paris, when they announced he was doing this movie, I was very disinterested. Historical epic. Historical epic. You're good at those. I I guess uh, I guess we don't have one of those for Napoleon that I'm aware of. So I, I say I would say I stepped into this film despite really liking a lot of the more recent films. Mostly, lots of skepticism going into this for me. All, overall. I felt like my skepticism was very warranted. Uh, but, Lauren, before that, give me your take. What did you think of the film? Uh, I went into this movie with all of that. Um, I had zero interest in really seeing um, this outside of the fact that he was involved and that he was reunited with Walking Phoenix, who I do love. Um, and I and I've also grown to love Vanessa Kirby, um, yes. who's kind of been making a name for herself after Pieces of a Woman. Um, so I went into this, like... Like I'm seeing it for the prestige. I'm not seeing this for the subject matter. And I honestly was going into it dreading the fact that it was super long and it was about a subject I didn't care about. Um, and I'm going to be bored to tears for the whole runtime. I was surprised that um, it actually does move. It does feel like it. It does feel like it, you know what I mean? Like it's fluid, you know, it doesn't, I think the four hour version that he's um, alluding to happening on Apple um, will probably fill in the gaps for what I think some people felt was, but I think that the way that the, this theatrical release of it is, um, it made the film's pacing fly by for me. And that was a necessary thing, you know, given the subject matter and not being invested in the history of it and feeling like, okay, this actually, like, the battle sequences impressed me. You know, like, the the one, um, oh God, I'm going to ruin the, the battle's name, but the one on the ice yeah. is is incredible. Like, that like that was a sequence, like, I mean, it was giving me Game of Thrones, that the, the 
what's the the iconic battle scene where they where she kills the um Oh, it's the one that's in the dark the whole time. It's it's iconic. Everyone oh, the the one that's uh, it was giving the, me that level yeah. of tension in yeah. terms of like the stakes and everything that's the battle at Witcherfell or whatever. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. So, um, I, I, the the battle was at the Battle of Austerlitz, by the way. Yeah. I was impressed with the. I loved the dynamic between him and Vanessa Hiddens, and Vanessa Kirby and the wife. I loved that they had this this power dynamic with each other where she was able to get inside of his head several times and they had this kind of interesting psychological warfare with one another where and he was always, you know, kind of at her mercy to a certain degree. And I loved that dynamic that he wasn't this perfect man that um, that outside of his military excellence, he was kind of a droll. You know what I mean? He was kind of a dope in some ways. And so um, and I like that walking things at first I was I was frustrated that at the very least, if they're going to make this a historical epic, like why is Walking Phoenix does not have a French accent? Why is no one speaking French? Like it's like it felt that was distracting at first, and then in the trailers, and then in the movie, it almost feels like a deliberate choice. It's kind of feels like he's kind of satirizing, you know, the character. Oh, I think of he Napoleon. is. This I, is I, not no, someone no. who respects him. This is really Scott saying like he was kind of in, in some ways he was kind of a moron no, that, but. that's what i was trying to get at like i, I think ridley scott does not think very much of the air quotes yes. great men that have yes. built society you know and that was intriguing to me because i was like okay so this isn't like somebody just like you know <laughs> um uh just getting off to the fact that he's a history buff and all these things like that he's very much like critiquing napoleon the man and there's and there's humor in this like you wouldn't think this is going to be a funny movie and actually there's a lot of funny lines and so um so I came out not loving it, but surprisingly not bored by it and surprisingly um, impressed with it, at least with it on a craft level. So. Yeah. So I think I come in a little cooler than you, but not by much. I My biggest problem with this film is I do I, – I like that this is really a chamber piece of sorts. I say chamber piece, but it, it's, it feels very play-like when it's not on the battlefield. Yeah. It, in that the, the, you have all these like really intimate scenes between Napoleon and his wife – and Josephine is a really interesting character that, frankly, I don't think we get quite enough of. My biggest problem with the film is that I had a hard time finding the heart of the movie. And, mm. yes, this is clearly satirizing the character of Napoleon. I, I think it's pretty clear. Others may disagree. They think they're so cool because they got boats. You remember right? that line? Uh, yeah, that right, line yeah. just <laughs> killed me. I was like, is this a, is this a parody? It, was like a, it, it feels so silly sometimes. Yeah. I wasn't really invested in any of the characters. The dynamic between him and his wife, Josephine, really compelling. But that isn't consistent throughout the film. Mm. It does not pay off. My For my money, that relationship does not pay off in a meaningful way by the time the film wraps up. Even though she's clearly, especially in the first act, or two, two acts really is pretty critical. She really kind of falls off the face of the story uh, in the last third. Even her presence in the story just... It left me wanting more. I cannot believe I'm saying this, and I'm not going to give the I'm not going to give the, this theatrical cut a pass. I, I did feel like this was a chopped down version of a much bigger movie. Sure. And then I, I'm sitting there thinking, like, there, I'm like, there's so much, so many like scenes that feel like they're missing. There's just something missing from this movie where I cannot. It's episodic. It. It's yeah. definitely. It does feel like we jump around to different places. And I again, I appreciate that from a pacing level because I was not invested. Like you know, but I agree with you. It does feel like there's there's whole scenes that needed the connective tissue between them. Specifically for the character dynamics and the and the relationships and, and and yeah, that was what was rough for me. Yeah. 
I don't know that I want to see a four-hour version of this movie. That's if the I'm Now, that said, it, the four-hour version very well will probably be, be better. An, be an improvement, yeah. But I don't want to sit through it. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, fine. That's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. So overall, I, again, good time. I think the battle sequences are spectacular. Yeah. Uh, Ridley Scott still knows how to do it better than anyone. And just the little details, that, like it's a battle on the ice, the snow flurries at the camera. It all looks You can so see the slick. money. You can oh, see yeah. the, mo- the, the, oh, yeah. the, the extra, Apple money. Like, oh, my yeah. goodness. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it, it's incredible. So highly, highly recommend from that perspective. You're going to, if you if you like the old school Ridley Scott historical epic battle sequences, you'll get what you pay for. All right, Laurent, Le- what letter grade would you give this film? I think I'm giving this a very cold B. Like at the berry, like it's it it just it's the coldest B. The coldest B under can the get. ice. Not a B minus, but it's like just 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 right there at the very bottom of a B. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go C down the middle. In that, I think that the things I really like about the movie are pretty outstanding. But man, if I'm gonna sit there for two hours and forty minutes, I really need to have something to give a shit about. <laughs> Whereas this movie is really just focused on him as the tactician. Yeah, uh, with with. Touches of the, oh, and here's his wife, and some uh, drama related to the two of them. Yeah. Uh, real quick, Leroy, Oscar chances for this one? Not high. I would think, um, if anything, in the craft department, you know, that we could see a costume design, costume production design. One, those would be the only areas I could see. This isn't Phoenix's best performance, so I wouldn't say with the stiff competition in the and you know uh, best actor that he would be here but also the academy sometimes like to just nominate actors yeah who they've nominated before possibly he, he won last time he was but there's nominated. a couple of those this year so it's like yeah it's uh i feel like he's like maybe on the in the second tier of 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 possibilities you okay. know so this is one that i feel like it might it could be a dark horse and show up a bunch but i'm not expecting it to but it could yeah it could there's a lot of Talented people working on this. Well, with that said, listeners, I am, I don't know about you, Laurent, I am very full. I am stuffed, (laughs) stuffed to my gills. But maybe we could just very quickly shout out and maybe like one to two sentence short review of other things we saw. So I'll turn it over to you. What are some other things we haven't mentioned uh, yet today? Rustin and Nyad came out um, during this period as well. I enjoyed both of them to... Varying degrees. Uh, I think uh, Nyad was a little bit more enjoyable of a biopic. Um, Rustin, I think, is a more important one to see just because of it's a character that people don't know about uh, very much. This is the year of that with Killers of the Flower Moon. Like, like, there's a lot of history that we were not taught, you know, and I feel like that's a character. Everyone knows Martin Luther King, but no one knows how all those people got there to the uh, Martin Luther King speech, you know, and so that's. And he was a queer black activist that was out at the time, you know, and so I just think that that's just something you don't see very often. I think there's reasons why we didn't learn about it in school. But um, so I think it's worth checking out. Both of those are on Netflix. Um, mm. I enjoyed both of them. Annette Benning and, and um, uh, Jodie Foster are, are really good in Nyad. It's not a perfect movie, but I do think their performances are really strong. Yeah. Good shot there. Paris, were there any other movies that we haven't mentioned today that you'd like to call out that have come out in the month of November? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I was blown away by Priscilla, which went wide, uh, early November. Um, I just, yeah, Sofia Coppola doesn't miss like even her movies, which there's only like maybe two that I'm lukewarm on are still just like fantastic, um, on other, other aspects, even though 
maybe they're not my favorite, but like she doesn't miss. This is just Sofia Coppola. Just man, just coming back with another banger. It's a masterpiece. Uh, Kaylee Spaney. I I don't know if I'm saying her name right. Mm -hmm. She is phenomenal. Oh my god, her, one of my favorite performances of the year. Um, I think Jacob Elordi does a really excellent job uh, as Elvis as well. Um, and yeah, it's just one of my favorites. I think it's amazing. I can't wait to watch it again. And yeah, it was a very delicious dessert of a movie. And it's quintessential mm -hmm. Coppola. So if you're a Coppola fan, mm -hmm. you will love that. You'll eat it up because it has all of her signatures. I do love Minimalist uh, Coppola. She's great. Like that's my favorite version of her probably. So I'm excited. I need to catch up with that one still. A couple others I'll shout out real fast. The Marvels. I'm just going to acknowledge that it came out. We should probably acknowledge that a Marvel movie came out on this podcast yeah. and has flopped tremendously at the box office. It's kind of a shame. It actually fell out of the top five, oh, uh, wow. which is for a Marvel movie in its third weekend. It's not good. Bizarre. It's bizarre. I, I have to say I'm very shocked. I wasn't a fan. I don't want to knock it. I've heard the criticism that I'm not the target audience as a adult white male. And I'll say, you know what? That is correct. I still think that this movie had a lot of problems that had nothing to do with the people working on it. I think yeah. that this movie suffered from decisions that the high, top brass at Disney and Marvel have made a while ago about cranking up their the amount of content that I'm coming out. And what we got was a movie that clearly needed a lot more time in the oven. Yeah. had some great lead performances. I especially really, really, really dug the girl who played Ms. Marvel. That really was the heart of the movie for me. But the VFX just looked, even by Marvel standards, very bad. That is a, a bit of a bummer. And then also, they're doing another thing I won't spoil, but they're playing into all the multiverse stuff. It just all felt so half-baked. And it's bizarre to me to think that Captain Marvel 1 comes out 2019. I think it's the one that comes out before Endgame. It makes over a billion dollars. And I had problems with that movie as well. But overall, I'd say it was a, it was a success. I, I liked it more than I didn't. This one is just getting... I mean, the fact that it's coming out, got it's getting like eaten alive by critics and it's not making money. Again, I don't actually put this on any of the filmmakers or any of the talent. I just think it's strategically Marvel and Disney made some decisions when the pandemic hit that really have impacted their pipeline of stuff. Sure. Uh, and this is what we got was a movie that felt half-baked at best. I really hope they take this as a chance to stop and slow down. I know there's only one movie coming out under MCU, which is Deadpool which is only going to be kind of an MCU movie because it's part of the Fox acquisition. Take the year and like recalibrate. Recalibrate. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. And maybe we'll miss them a little bit and make them better. And then uh, that I mean, fall. We both saw that. Outstanding. Exploring the ambiguity of marriage, relationships, truth, uh, all. And it's a very slow burn three hour trial movie. Trial but, movie, but. Great performance by Sandra Huller. Incredible. Oscar and, caliber. Yeah. And just, yeah, definitely one of my, one of my favorite films this year. So Easily one of my favorite films this year. It won it won at the... The Cannes. Cannes. The, the Palme d'Or, yeah. Earlier this year, and I, I would say it's a, a worthy winner. We are about out of time, but I do have to acknowledge, as much as we just stuffed our faces for Thanksgiving, we have a lot of other movies in December. It doesn't stop. I have 16 movies. Well, Ron, this is uh, <laughs> looking at the upcoming calendar of what we have. Uh, we've got Silent Night, May, December, The Boy and the Heron, Poor Things, Eileen, Wonka, ugh, Chicken Run, <laughs> Dawn of the Nugget, American Fiction, Zone of Interest, Maestro, Maestro, however you say it, Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, Iron Claw, 
the color purple Ferrari, the boys in the boat. And I'm sure there's some I'm missing. That's just the 16 that popped up at the top of the search. We're not going to be reviewing all of these movies, but we are going to be watching as many as we can. And we'll be talking about a few more in the weeks ahead, uh, starting with our next episode where we will be reviewing Poor Things, the latest film by Yorgos Lanthimos. I appreciate both of you guys. Uh, real quick, where can people keep up with you and your work online or just in general? Uh, and uh, Parrish, I'll start with you. You can find me on Letterboxd. It's just my name, Paris Burris, and I'm also doing uh, programming for Dead Center Film Festival, but we do continuum screenings throughout the year, so follow Dead Center Film on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All right. Lauren Chapman, how about you? Um, you can follow my reviews on Letterboxd as well um, uh, at black underscore Senna underscore man. Um, and yeah, looking forward to uh, new year with Dead Center. Um, also a programmer. Um, I'm hoping we have an exciting, you know, um, crop of films for the new year. So, oh, I'm very excited about the new crop of films that we get in the next year. It's going to come fast, I'm sure. Uh, listeners, of course, you can follow me on all, all the things uh, that is X, Instagram, Threads. Letterboxed at C Masters Talk. That's letter C Masters Talk. Or of course, you can find all the things I'm doing over at the cinematropolis.com or on our so- social media channels. Paris, Laurent, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks thank for having you. us. This was a blast. And listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll catch you again next time in our review of Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things. <laughs> <laughs>